You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 593. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 8th of November, 2023. Yeah, he's up in the sky. In today's episode, we'll tell you why FedEx is telling pilots to go to another airline and a Russian volcano causing problems for flights across the Pacific. Also ahead, more news and your feedback. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 593 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins on 92.3 FM in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at the major legacy airline based in Atlanta, Georgia, and joining us, and, well, me, all of us, from his studio... In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. Professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways, is Captain Nick. Hi there, Jeff. Great to be back on the show. Just uh, excuse me a moment while I settle into my seat, adjust the rudder pedals. Yeah, I'm all ready to go. Excellent. All right, and also joining us from... His home studio in the air capital, low and slow pilot, AMP and mechanic, old airplane enthusiast and engineer in the aerospace and defense industry. It's Nick Camacho. Hey, Captain Jeff. Glad to be uh, back again here a couple weeks in a row uh, with a few uh, little airplane stories to talk about today. Excellent. Can't wait. All right. And also joining us from her studio in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, retired financier and aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master. And it's our producer, the lovely Liz Piper. Hi, everybody. Let's have a good show, you guys. Thanks. You too. Stand by for news. First in our news segment is this from the Aviation Herald. Uh, it's an update on an incident that we talked about a couple of episodes ago. And by the way, uh, when I had the meetup with the KLM crew, Yuryan uh, and, uh, and his crew uh, in Atlanta, Buckhead, uh, uh, a little while, a couple of weeks ago, I guess, uh, one of them, one of the crew members told me about this and I forgot to share that with the crew. So, but we're getting it officially from the aviation Herald. Now they, uh, on the third of November, 2023, well, I guess I should 
give this a little bit of context, just in case you didn't catch that show where we talked about this. Uh, Titan Airways, um, I guess, what would you call that uh, carrier, uh, Nick, like a holiday carrier there? In, uh... I'm not terribly familiar with Titan, quite honestly. I wouldn't know how to categorize them. Okay. Well, I guess they do contract work or charter, uh, charter work. Um, and they were doing charter work for a company. Uh, somebody, I think it was an, an American company, uh, uh, entered in some kind of a contract. And they were doing a photo shoot at uh, Stansted before they took off in this airplane. And they were heading over from Stansted to Orlando. They were going to pick up some folks there and then continue on to the West Coast, I think, of the United States. And uh, on takeoff out of Stansted, uh, things got a little noisy in the cabin. And it uh, turns out that there were some windows on the left side of the aircraft that uh, popped out of their um, out of their window panes. And on the 3rd of November, the AAIB released a special bulletin uh, saying that several cabin windows on the Airbus A321 were damaged by high power lights used during a filming incident uh, or a filming event. The damage was discovered after takeoff on the aircraft's next flight. Work is going or ongoing with the aircraft manufacturer and operator to fully understand the properties of the lights used and how this risk can be managed in the future. Now, looking at this photo that Liz is displaying right now, I was able to find an, a shot of the portable lights. They don't look, I mean, obviously they're not LED lights because LED lights wouldn't have produced enough heat to damage these uh, window seals, especially from this distance. I mean, in this picture, it looks like a good 15, 20 feet away from uh, from those windows. What kind of what kind of lighting would that be, Nick? Do you know? I like have no idea. Not that would generate enough lit, uh, heat to uh, damage the window seals. So uh, I'm I, I have no idea. I mean, normally there'd be um, tungsten. Uh, I -hmm. guess in the old days, what they are nowadays could be halogens or something similar. But this is um, very expensive professional gear. So. I'm, it's really outside my experience level. I don't know exactly how they would have done that. But. The aircraft was scheduled to embark on a multi-day charter from base with a flight crew consisting of three pilots, an engineer, a loadmaster, six cabin crew. The first sector was a positioning flight, as I mentioned before, from London Stansted to Orlando. And then um, they were going to pick up uh, – well, they had nine passengers on board as well, all employees of the tour operator or aircraft operating company. Um, the aircraft departed a few minutes ahead of schedule, took off. Uh, they said the cabin seemed noisier and colder than they were used to. And as I mentioned, they observed these, um, these windows missing. Uh, two were missing and one was about to uh, fall out as well. Um, anyway, as uh, we just showed and talked about the uh, lighting there, they said uh, the day before the occurrence flight, uh, the aircraft had been used for filming on the ground during which... External lights have been shown through the cabin windows to give the illusion of a sunrise. The lights were first shown on the right side of the aircraft for approximately five and a half hours. With the light focused on the cabin windows just aft of the overwing exits, the lights were then moved to the left side where they eliminated a similar area on the left side for approximately four hours. And that's actually the side where the windows came off, the four-hour side. Um, also some damage to the horizontal stabilizer, and they found some pieces of acrylic in the stabilizer, indicating that uh, the windows were the culprit for the damage. Uh, Micah has a comment from our live audience. Could they have had an infrared spectrum that wasn't well known? 
I don't know. Well, what, what side frequencies the lights put out, I don't know. Well, they're primarily in the visible spectrum. That's what they're there for. But, of course, uh, you know, once you start generating light, you can't necessarily keep it to uh, just the visible spectrum. It could spread, uh, could go into the ultraviolet. Um, but then again, um, <laughs> the, the aircraft windows are designed to operate in bright sunlight all the time and uh you know yeah. because we were above the clouds and uh you know we get a lot of uv light uh, in the upper atmosphere so i'm not too sure uh, the heat thing might well be the cause but um the photo you showed jeff i think they're way too far away to be generating a lot of heat but of course they might have moved them closer for different shots right so um yeah uh don't know Interesting, though, isn't it? Because this is not the first time people have used outside lights to illuminate an aircraft cabin for their photo shoots. I mean, it's it's common practice to shine light in through the windows because it blocks out all the external view that you might catch because you've got this nice bright light coming in the window and just floods the cabin and also with um, you know light you need in in the interior. So, yeah, interesting. I haul boxes and our live audience says a camera shy Airbus. No, no such thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Okay. Well, interesting. That's one of those new ones that uh, nobody thought would happen. Apparently. Mm, indeed. This next one is interesting. I've never seen anything like this uh, before. Um, FedEx. This is from on uh, one mile at a time. Uh, Federal Express, the uh, cargo carrier here in the U.S., uh, tells pilots to quit and work for a regional airline. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, yeah, that's not very nice. In the past couple of years, it seems like it's been nothing but good news for airline and cargo pilots in terms of the demand for them and their negotiating power. That's very much changing at cargo airlines, it seems. And uh, let's see, cargo traveling by air is transported both by dedicated cargo aircraft and in the bellies of airliners during the early stages of the pandemic cargo airlines were booming given that air, oh, I, I always say don't use that term when you're talking about airliners booming. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, given that airlines were operating limited schedules meaning there was more demand for cargo aircraft than ever before that's slowly changing both as airlines have largely restored pre-pandemic capacity plus the demand for cargo is softening Along those uh, lines, um, let's see, FedEx has sent a, a memo to its pilots uh, saying, uh, let's see, this is from the VP of Flight Ops and Training. As I recently communicated, our flight operations are significantly overstaffed. Air cargo demand remains down with decreased revenues and volumes similar to 2019 levels. Consequently, bid line guarantees on most of our flights are at or near minimums and will probably stay there for the foreseeable future. This low demand is not unique to FedEx, but is an industry-wide issue impacting the major cargo carriers. As you may have noticed, the passenger industry is not facing the same issues, and those carriers continue to hire pilots at a pace we haven't seen in recent history with no apparent end in sight. FedEx pilots are paid hourly with a minimum number of monthly hours. As you can see above, this means that pilots aren't able to get much above their current minimums, therefore are being paid less than they're used to. 
While FedEx isn't laying off pilots, the airline is offering pilots an opportunity to move to Piedmont Airlines, which is a regional affiliate of American Airlines, the major uh, Piedmont, again, a connection carrier for airline, wholly owned by American Airlines. Um, with an expedited hiring process, pilots at FedEx could immediately become a captain at Piedmont Airlines, flying CRJ-700s and CRJ-900s, could receive a $250,000 sign-on bonus wow. consisting of 175000 with the first paycheck and 75000 on the one-year anniversary. That's a lot of cash. Pilots will receive a minimum of 12 days off per month. Eh, that's not great. And would be able to carry over their seniority. Pilots would be guaranteed jobs at American Airlines in the future. Guaranteed jobs at American Airlines in the future. For those curious, you can find the Piedmont hourly scale here. Okay, this is uh, him talking about the hourly pay scale of Piedmont versus the hourly pay scale at FedEx. And there is, is quite, uh, there's quite a disparity, obviously. Um, let's see. And then the memo continued to the pilots with, while I understand that this is not something that will appeal to every pilot, for those of you who are frustrated with current flight hours, career progression, or have just been on the fence about available options, you may consider this unique opportunity enough of an incentive to make a move. Frankly, I was pessimistic about how attractive the opportunity might be when first approached, but the details are compelling. And again, this is from that memo of the VP of uh, Flight Ops and Training. Um, yeah, uh, so the uh, the blog uh, post on uh, One Mile at a Time continues. Uh, it's not every day that you see a company that tells its pilots, uh, so maybe you'll you should go work for another company. Uh, FedEx pilots have been negotiating new contracts, and over the summer they rejected a proposal that would have given them a 30% pay increase over the coming years. One has to wonder if they missed their window for getting a better contract. You know, they may have. What's interesting about the offer from Piedmont is that it offers a huge 250000 bonus for flying there for a year, but otherwise the pay is completely uncompetitive to what FedEx pays its pilots. FedEx first officer makes more than a Piedmont Airlines captain, and never mind that the pay scale tops out at a much lower level. Uh, when you're a pilot, seniority is the single most important thing, at least it is here in the U.S. Uh, so by working for a regional airline first, you're delaying your opportunity to be hired by your, quote, forever airline, which pilots want to do as soon as possible. With American, Delta, and United all hiring directly, it seems like FedEx pilots would be better off just trying to work for one of those airlines directly. Yeah, and several have actually made that jump from uh, both UPS and FedEx. Um, I can't help but feel like passenger airlines will soon be having the same issue as cargo airlines, where they have too many pilots. I think cargo, cargo demand is just shrinking a bit of ahead of passenger demand. Uh, for the most part, working for cargo airlines is lucrative and uh, is just as good of a career path as working for an airline. Unless FedEx pilots are worried they're going to get furloughed soon, it seems like they're better off just sticking it out rather than starting from scratch unless they can land a, at a, uh, land a job at a stable passenger airline like Delta. Anyway, and then also, now I'm not sure of the timeline here. I think that this may have been something that happened at UPS before the FedEx thing, even though the art news articles are in reversed order. Um, I believe that the VP of flight ops at FedEx may have gotten the idea 
to uh, seek out flying with uh, Piedmont uh, from what was happening at uh, United Parcel Service, uh, UPS. Uh, nearly 200 senior pilots at UPS have accepted the company's voluntary severance package, uh, and regional passenger airline PSA Airlines is trying to recruit them to close a crew shortage. So the Piedmont people thought, hey, we need some people. Maybe we can attract some of these people that are are leaving uh, UPS and FedEx. Uh, anyway, so they, they the, this article is basically outlining the same kind of uh, offer uh, from Piedmont uh, to the UPS pilots as the uh, FedEx pilots. So, and again, it's just something I've never seen in my career, uh, this sort of thing happened. So it's Roger's uh, got an interesting comment. Radio Roger says, uh, dear employee, don't have any loyalty to us. Yeah. It is odd, isn't it? You, that you would see that from upper management, uh, to basically say, Hey, if I were you, I'd get out of here because things aren't get, looking good. I don't know. Yeah. Well, um, I heard it happened in our airline, but in a different kind of way. Uh, we were suffering a major problem um, during the financial crisis, and uh, they needed to uh, reduce the, um, the staffing levels. Uh, so rather than just make pilots redundant, which, of course, you, you might be able to do, depending on what kind of a contract your employees have, um, they said uh, they would offer a, a number of packages, redundancy, you know, furlough, et cetera, et cetera. But they also said we're working with a Middle East airline and uh, we will be able to uh, offer you employment or they will offer you empo- employment um, for a period and then you can return. So, you know, sometimes companies will do this as a kind of a... Uh, just to assist their pilots, I guess, because there's there's no compunction for them to do so in our employment law, but uh, they they do it just because they're going. Well, we're going to get rid of you, so you know here's the ch- chance to carry on working with a different airline and then perhaps come back to us. Anything like that happen in your world, um, defense industry kind of thing, or is that completely foreign? It's a completely different thing, uh, Nick. Uh, in terms of moving from one company to another or a company saying, Hey, you know, we're, we're kind of overstaffed and we think that maybe this company over here, you'd, you'd probably be happier there. No, I'm, I'm not familiar with it happening company to company. I mean, it's common, uh, you know, for some of the bigger companies that have, di- that have different, um, business segments. Like when I worked at Lockheed, we went through a, uh, staff reduction effort and, uh, Lockheed basically, uh, did their best to pr- try to provide those people um, opportunities in other business segments so that they remain a Lockheed Martin employee, but they may have to move and they have to do something different. So I think that sort of thing happens fairly often. But not mm-hmm. a huge incentive like that, eh? Uh, right, yeah, unincentivized. Um, the, that's just basically like keeping your job, right, at the, at the same level. You have um, – and, and then they uh, – and then they provide services to uh, prepare you to go out into the job market. But I've never heard of uh, anybody finding you jobs at, at different companies. All right. Um, I guess we can move on then to our next item. Um, mm. I don't know where I'm going to go. 
volcanoes erupting, looks like, and disrupting some Trans-Pacific flying. Uh, again, from onemileatatime.com. Uh, the, the eruption of a Russian volcano is causing quite some issues for airlines this week. The problems apply to many Trans-Pacific flights, even those that avoid Russian airspace. On Wednesday, November 1st, so it's about a week ago, a little over a week, uh, Eurasia's tallest active volcano erupted. Um, let me get this ready here. Uh, essentially, or specifically, the Klyuchevskaya Sopka volcano. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> yeah, got it. Nailed it. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. Not exactly um, what you mean. I know. I mean, that sounds like I'm a native speaker, actually. Very familiar. Uh, 4,650 meters tall, 15,255 feet. That's, that's, that's up there. Uh, the uh, I, You know, I remember when I was a youth uh, climbing the side of the Klyuchevskaya uh, Sopka volcano. Um, it's located in Russia's Kamchatka Peninsula. In the northern part of the country near the Bering Sea, which separates Russia and Kim Alaska. Sivijaya. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I wish I had had that ready to go, but oh, I do. Sivijaya. There we go. Uh, the good news is that the area is sparsely populated. There are two towns not too far away, each with about 5,000 people. There have been no reports of injuries. The bad news is that the impact of the volcano goes way beyond the immediate area. As you'd expect, the eruption is causing some major ash clouds, with ash being reported as high as eight miles above sea level, even higher than most commercial aircraft fly. Uh, let's see. While many airlines already avoid Russian airspace on trans-Pacific flights hmm, uh, due to flight restrictions. Uh, the implications of these ash clouds go way beyond that. Long story short, flights that would ordinarily operate near the Bering Sea, just south of Russia, are needing to route much further south. Uh, at a minimum, flights are taking materially longer, whew, materially longer than usual, especially those headed to North Asia, like Japan and South Korea. Just to get, give an example, let's look at United's flight U 131 from Newark to Tokyo on October 31st. Before the volcano erupted, the flight took 14 hours, one minute. Uh, then on November 2nd, the flight took 16 hours, 26. So that's a full two hours, 25 minutes longer. And the situation today seems to be even worse as the plane will make a fuel stop in San Francisco. As another example, let's look at Delta's flight 167 from Seattle to Tokyo. On October 31st, before the volcano, the flight took 9 hours and five, 59, so basically 10 hours. Then on November 2nd, the flight took 12 hours, 29 minutes, so that's like two and a half hours longer. Uh, the situation today seems to be even worse as the flight has just been outright canceled. <laughs> uh, the trend here is pretty obvious. As the ash keeps getting pushed further out, the operational disruptions are becoming greater. Hopefully this trend reverses soon, but in the meantime, you can expect Trans-Pacific flight flights will take quite a bit longer than before. If you have any tight connections planned, you might want to plan accordingly. And now uh, one of our co-hosts uh, here, Miami Rick, uh, routinely travels that area in his big old jet airliner, that big 747. I'm I'll be interested to hear from uh, Miami Rick uh, when he returns to the show uh, if that had any major imp Wow. Sorry about that. <laughs> Cheers. I thought that was wow. a volcano. That, that got my attention. I thought something really? was falling apart here in my uh, complex. I was just, I'll just yeah, I was, cheers on some Wow. Yes. <laughs> Wait, hang on. Yeah, my heart's still okay. Yeah, oh. I'm, I'm okay. still okay. Glad about that. Oh, that's right. 
Uh, anyway, fix that I'll, in post for me. <laughs> yeah, <I'll, laughs> thanks. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it right out. I don't want to have any of our listeners have a heart attack. Um, okay, yeah. So there you have it. anything to say about uh, well, you know what? What exactly is the risk of uh, volcanic uh, ash cloud activity? Uh, shouldn't be a problem, right? They're just tiny little particles that don't really have a major yeah, effect uh, at all on engines. You just engines. fly straight through it. doesn't yeah. matter at all. Yeah, <laughs> no concern whatsoever. Um, they, it's, the con, it's what it's made of, really, rather than anything. I mean, you can fly through um, smoke uh, and, uh, you know, um, from forest fires and stuff, and that's got ash in it. So what's the difference? Well, a volcano, uh, the particles that come out of uh, volcano ash um, when they meet the hot bits of the engine they can be transmogrified into a glass-like substance which adheres to the uh, blades of the jet engine it's really because of the high temperature inside the jet engine you're basically putting a film of glass over it uh, and can stream down and disturb the airflow and, and uh, cause the engine to fail for that reason. In addition, uh, they're very abrasive, those uh, volcanic particles, for ash particles, and they erode the blades so that, again, they uh, stop becoming aerodynamic and um, then, you know, your engine fails. And the famous one is one of the very first aircraft to um, go into uh, a bad ash cloud, which was a British Airways 747. They lost all four engines. Uh, they managed to get, I think, two going again, a bit dodgy. They were a bit worried about them. And in addition, the front of the aircraft was very badly eroded. They couldn't see out of the windshields properly. It really was a bit of a nightmare. All the aerials were damaged um, by these particles. So really, it can be a huge hazard. The, the BA flight got away with it. They managed to find a runway to put it the aircraft down on safely. Um, but we we now know a lot more about it, particularly after the one that went off in Iceland and stopped all the transatlantic traffic for uh, coming on two weeks. Uh, and um, we learned a lot about how to deal with that. But, uh, yeah, it, it can be a severe problem if you uh, hit it and don't look after your aircraft. There are drills now in all our manuals on how to deal with ash clouds if we um, meet it unexpectedly. All right. Uh, yeah, so we learned a lot from that uh, British Airways uh, 747 incident for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it a, really is one of the nastiest. If you're in the sim and they say, right, we're going to do volcanic ash, you go, oh, no, because you're probably going to lose airspeed. You're probably going to get erroneous altitude indications. You're going to lose engines. You, uh, you may not be able to see out of the windshield. Uh, you know, it's just it's going to be a nightmare of a sim. <laughs> oh, yeah. Horrible. All right. Uh, so uh, if you're out there flying in the Pacific, uh, be careful. Make sure you avoid that ash cloud. Be careful out there, folks. Uh, let's see. The um, no, no. Uh, I was thinking to myself uh, reading this article from. Uh, hang on. The oh god, they didn't. Um, they didn't spot me, did they? Well, so I was thinking that <laughs> this may have something to do with your uh, talk in Hamburg um, a, a little while back. Um, the Hamburg airport was actually evacuated because this man was trying to find. 
uh, Captain Nick, who was quite upset with uh, the thing, things he said <laughs> in his his lecture, and uh, so um, he figured he could somehow don't intercept the war. Yeah, he uh, yeah, that's not a good not a good thing to do. <laughs> he was hoping to intercept you before you left uh, country, but uh, apparently you had I already. He was just bringing him a bottle of gin. Um. Oh yeah, he may but, have been trying well, to. Yeah, but he. Well, I wouldn't <laughs> like to have it thrown at it. me. He can throw set light and thrown <laughs> at me. That's not very nice. So you're what, probably wondering what the heck are they talking about? Well, uh, the Hamburg airport was evacuated and flight operations suspended last Saturday night after a gunman crashed his car through a security gate and drove onto the apron close to packed passenger planes, yelling, Captain Nick Anderson, I hate you! (laughs) And he was throwing Molotov cocktails, uh, those, you know, gin, Hamburg gin bottles, apparently lit uh, with fuses, or whatever you call those things that you stick in things, Um, onto the tarmac while holding his four-year-old daughter hostage. Uh Uh-oh. As heavily armed police evacuated the airport and locked down the area, Hamburg Airport suspended all flight ops. Thousands of passengers were impacted, uh, but with no end in sight to the unfolding hostage situation, many more passengers will be hit by cancellations on Sunday. Uh, the man's wife is understood to have called the police shortly after he crashed his Audi. Ah, there you go. Into the secure airside oh, area. Those of, Audi drivers. Oh, no. <laughs> They're crazy people. Uh, into the secure air, in, airside area of Hamburg Airport. So he made it airside onto the ramp. Reported that he had taken their daughter and was heading to the airport. That was his wife. Uh, after crashing through the security gate, the man drove his Audi close to a Turkish Airlines plane, which was parked at a gate on Saturday night. Local media reports claim that the man has demanded to be allowed to fly to Turkey. The plane had passengers on board at the time of the incident, but was, but was, but was quickly evacuated. A police spokesperson says that no one has so far been injured. And then there's an update here uh, from BBC News. The man, 35 years old, drove through a security barrier uh, with his four-year-old daughter and parked under a plane. He eventually gave himself up to the authorities without resistance, according to police, and was arrested. The child appears to be unharmed. The incident caused the disruption of several flights in and out of the airport. Okay, we talked about that before. Police said that the man shot his weapon twice in the air and threw burning bottles of gin from the vehicle. No, uh, burning bottles uh, from the vehicle. It was unclear if the man had explosives. Uh, yeah, so luckily. He made it onto airside. Pardon me? It's bad that he made it airside. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's one of those things that they're always trying to make sure that airports are secure from people, you know, ramming entrances like this and getting onto the airside. But I guess. There's a will, there's a way, right? I mean, how do you stop these people? Indeed. I mean, uh, to have a, a crash-proof fence all the way around an airport is a huge uh, distance. Mm. Uh, pretty tough to try and make um, you know, it completely safe. Yeah, if we just passed the half-hour mark, it's just FYI. Look after the vulnerable areas, but an airport perimeter is long. It's a big, big old uh, place, an airport. Yep. It is all right we have um something that uh involves a video file so i'm going to go ahead and this was sent in by load that Um, this was sent in by uh someone named who nick nicholas camacho Camacho. oh (laughs) yeah this guy right here down a couple uh the next two items all right uh let's see so uh what do you think nick should i run a little bit of this video to start sure. it off, or does it require sure. context? Okay. 
I'm going to go ahead and do this. And Vans Hello, Aircraft. Hello, I'm Dick Van Grunzen, founder of Vans Aircraft and principal designer of the line of RV kit planes. I wanted to make this video so I can speak directly to you, the builders and owners of Vans kits and airplanes. Over the past 50 years, I've had the pleasure of speaking directly to many of you, and I've always enjoyed sharing our mutual passion for aviation and the RV kit planes. I need to share some difficult information with you about the status of Vans aircraft today. Due to a number of factors, Vans is facing serious cash flow issues that must be addressed for ongoing operation. We are confident we can work through this situation, but some changes are required. Candid okay. So you kind of get the gist there. Things are not all um, rainbows and uh, roses and unicorns or whatever this phrase is. Uh, they're <laughs> advanced. Yeah, I have to say, before we continue here, uh, Nick, um, when I was trying to find some images and some videos, specifically this video, when you do a search in Google for, if you say Vans and Jeez. RV, guess okay. what you find out? I mean, you, what you find or you, in your search results is that uh, RVs, recreational vehicles here in the U.S., and vans like, you know, like Jeez. van life, van oh, campers. Yeah. That's all I could find, especially it must be oh, looking really? at all of my searches in, in the past because I kind of focus a lot on vans because I'm <laughs> per yeah, purchasing a van and it's an RV. Yeah, I was like, no, not that kind of – I'm thinking, well, I can understand why it's being a little confused because it is confusing. The company, Vans, uh, and the aircraft model is called an RV or I guess – would you call it the model? Because they have several different models of RVs. The model line, I think. Model line. RV. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that was that's always confusing, and it has been to me at least. Uh, but why don't you right. tell our audience what what exactly Vans RVs? Uh, what what is that? What what is that? Company? Yeah, so the the, uh, the RV line. So Richard Van Grunsman, Dick Van Grunsman, the guy that you just heard talking, uh, he is the designer and and founder of Vans Aircraft, and so they're named RV for his initials, and uh, that is the most popular, <laughs> by far the most popular. Um, yeah, I bet. <laughs> so Tim Van Ram and our live audience, I'm sorry, I'm distracting Nick Camacho. Yeah, he I'm says uh, Van Ram is good to look up as well. Yeah, be careful. Make sure no kids are nearby that be can see the screen it. when you do that. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, you know, here in the United States, uh, and I think we've probably talked about this multiple times, but there is a um, separate segment of aviation called experimental amateur built. And basically what that means is you can, uh, an individual can build their own airplane and it's, uh, subject to different certification rules than, uh, certified air factory certified airplanes. Um, so it, it's, uh, it's harder to do, but generally, um, the general feeling is like it's more work to build yeah, a, a experimental bit. airplane than a factory airplane, but it's uh, more cost effective and you have a little more uh, freedom to do things to it uh, for the same amount of money that you spend. So these vans, um, RVs are incredibly popular. Uh, this article says more than 11,000 kit builds completed. So that's not, uh, I think that's high, but there's, there's still a, a, a stunning amount of these airplanes that have been built and they've got uh, 
two seat side by side, two seat tandem airplanes, uh, nose wheel airplanes, tri uh, tail wheel airplanes. They've got a four seat version, and they uh, a couple of years ago at Oshkosh they announced a four seat stole version, which is a huge departure from their standard um, their standard design kind of approach. Um, but what this is specifically talking about is they, you know, as, as with everyone else, they ran into some, um, supply chain issues during COVID, uh, and, uh, got a little bit backed up and you can buy these airplanes either, either as a bunch of parts and build them completely, or you can buy what's called a quick build kit, which means that, um, about half the airplane is built by rule in the United States to, uh, build an experimental amateur built airplane. You have to build 51% of the airplane. You have to build more than half of it. So a lot of times you can buy these. Uh, 49% build kits. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can buy these quick build kits that are, you know, anywhere from 20 to 49% completed. Uh, mm -hmm. and it, and it shortens your time span for building the airplane. I think vans, uh, quick build kits are built in the Philippines, but I'm not sure. I, I probably mm -hmm. should have looked that up before the show. Uh, but what happened is they had, uh, in addition to their standard, um, supply chain issues they also had an issue in their quick build line where they used a corrosive primer on the airframe components that they sent out so if you think about it that's like the opposite of what you want to yeah do, you right? want to not really you're priming something to avoid <laughs> corrosion yeah and they painted these airplanes with a corrosive primer so they ended up with this big glut of airplane parts that that were unusable or that had to be replaced and as part of the recovery plan um as part of the recovery plan from that, they, they went from uh, pre-punched holes, so like all the skin, the sheet, the skin aluminum sheets, instead of being having the holes punched, they went to uh, laser cut skins, so they'd have the holes cut out with a little laser. Uh, another aspect of this airplane is that you, um, a lot of it is uh, countersunk rivets, or so like flush fasteners, and to accomplish that, you know, you can either countersink it with a tool, which basically means like removing material in the shape of a little cone. If the part that you're wanting to um, fasten flush is too thin for that, like a skin, like a like a wing skin or something, uh, then there's a process called dimpling, where basically you have a you cut the hole and then you dimple it, so you you create that little um, cone shape. And what was happening with these laser cut holes is people were complaining about the skins cracking when they were dimpled for the uh, flush rivets. So then that, you know, Vans was already behind the eight ball because they had all these um, quick build parts to replace. Then they were sending out all these other laser cut parts. And uh, I guess it's just got them in a very uh, challenging financial situation. So they are making changes at the top of their leadership uh, ladder and, uh, pausing production on some stuff and and trying to kind of assess how to climb out of this um, parts and financial hole that they're in right now. Yeah, it's a shame. It it seems to me to be one of the most popular airplane kit manufacturers out there. Right? Is it like at the top? Of yeah, the and it's and it's really not even close. I yeah. mean, it's if I had to guess, I would say that there's probably five or ten to one RVs built. Compared yeah. to like the next next most popular airplane, good looking um, airplanes are, too. I think they're um, really efficient airplanes. 
they're fast they are uh they have good handling it, i mean it's really uh that's why they're so popular right is because they're easy to build and they have great performance they're they are moderately aerobatic they're fast they uh, don't require very, very much runway um so it just kind of checks all the boxes it doesn't it's not going to be the fastest cross-country airplane you get in it's not going to carry the most stuff but it carries enough you're not going to be able to win aerobatic competitions with it but you can go out and do mild aerobatics you're not going to be able to you know fly in the back country with it but you can get in and out of grass strips that are reasonably short so, so it, it, it kind of does everything well that's what i was going to say it, it does a lot of things really well and maybe not the best in all of those individual right. categories but it's pretty all around a great airplane great performance yeah um hope you know it just you can't it'd be hard to believe that uh, this will be the end of of the company that uh, yeah, the, i don't the, think so yeah i hope not because you know a, a lot of times we see these airplane companies go away and part of the problem is something happens and and it causes um you know there's not a huge the problem in aviation production is it's always a volume problem right because not there just aren't that many airplanes sold anymore these days and vans is like the outlier where they've got themselves in trouble because they couldn't keep up with the demand rather than trying to figure out how to um solve cost issues because of the low demand so it seems like there's got to be a solution out there, right? Somebody's going to look at them and be like, well, this company got themselves in a hole because they had so many customers they couldn't handle it. That seems like a problem that people are going to be willing to solve, whether it's right. infusions of capital or, you know, new management looking at different methods to do things or what. But I, I doubt that, you know, I think short term uh, might be challenging for them, but I suspect in a few years they'll have it all sorted out. That's good. Nick, these problems that they're suffering seem to be um, in their design and partly manufacture process. Uh, did they do enough R&D in the background before switching their manufacturing um, details? You know, it seems to yeah, me so pretty simple to punch a hole, but why go to a laser cut and then discover it really has major faults associated with it? Yeah, so I, I'm not sure about that. There has been some discussion about how much work they did with it before um, before they rolled that out into their production process. Uh, I do know some of the you know some of the things that I've read online and you know talking to a couple of my I have a couple of friends who have built RVs and are you know relatively dialed into that community, and it seems like. Um, you know, part of the problem is they're getting all these parts sent back to them that were laser cut parts, but they're not necessarily all exhibiting the cracking issue. You know, there are people that are just hearing about it and they're saying, well, I don't want those parts ah, okay, because they might, they might have an issue, right? Like yeah. I don't want to deal with the issue down the line. So gotcha. yeah, so it's, yeah. it's not quite clear to me how many, you know, like what the ratio of, and it may not be very many, right? They may have like 90% bad parts and 10% of the parts returns are people saying, I don't want to deal with it, but it, it could be the other way also. Okay. Um, yeah. And I, there was, you know, like a, obviously a groundswell of support also online from the vans, um, owners and builders and everything well, that's saying, good. you know, we can't a bit of loyalty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, and by, so. we should, we should also mention, you talked about you know, experimental aircraft and home builds and that kind of thing. The uh, the biggest air show in the world, which we've been to several times now, 
um, Oshkosh is is actually Air Venture put on by the Experimental Aircraft Association (EAA), and that's what that's all about. That's how it all started, right? Is yep. you know people building airplanes on their own, whether it be kits or from scratch or whatever. Yep. And yeah. I just googled real quick, and it looks like so twenty. I nothing popped up for twenty twenty three, but twenty twenty two was the fiftieth anniversary of, of vans. Oh wow! And this thing says there were seven hundred and twenty one RVs at Oshkosh. Wow, which good. is just so at Oshkosh. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's a good percentage because I think what is the normally around 10,000 10, uh, aircraft? Yeah, that's almost 10 percent. Well, I guess that'd yeah. be about 7.2 percent. <laughs> yeah, 7.21. <laughs> wow, good uh, hey, hey, steel trap right there, Liz. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't forget it. And Nick sent in the next item as well, Jeff. Okay, well, Nick, please continue with the uh, news coverage. The next item. Yeah, we, we touched on this briefly last week. I thought I'd, I'd toss this in here so we have some uh, uh, like actual facts, concrete facts here. But this is from uh, AvWeb. Las Vegas airports implement PPR ahead of Formula One Grand Prix. Transient general aviation aircraft will need prior permission before landing at Las Vegas area airports ahead of the Formula One Heineken Silver Las Vegas Grand Prix 2023. Harry Reid International Airport, Henderson Executive Airport, and North Las Vegas Airport are all enforcing the PPR program, which will be in effect November 9th, tomorrow, until November 21st, 2023. Uh, While the main F1 event isn't scheduled until November 18th, organizers expect an influx of aircraft arrivals, particularly high-end jets, in the coming weeks. We know what F1 attracts, the kind of visitor. The kind of ticket holder. It's a higher end crowd. We're expecting to be at capacity. Just like Nick People and like Jeff. Captain James Nick Chris and Captain Jeff. Jeff. <laughs> exactly. Of aviation. You for are the Clark exception County. to the rule. Well, uh, I'm I'm higher end, but Je- Jeff's <laughs> middle end. Well, I'll take whatever end I can get. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a, a November two notice from the FAA warned. Pilots flying in without PPR reservations should expect substantial delays throughout the area in addition to possible denial of service. Uh, let me skip down here to the important part, which is the numbers. Those who have reserved a spot at FBO's AvWeb contact at the main Vegas airports are paying dearly for the privilege. Henderson Executive and North Las Vegas Airport are both charging a $3,000 non-refundable special event fee. Harry Reid International Atlantic FBO was charging $3,000 for jets and $1,500 for piston aircraft. AOPA reported that Signature was charging $7,700, but the company said that it was already full and declined to tell AvWeb how much it was charging. Uh, wow. So, man, that's a that's a ton of money. And I realize it, in, in the scope of operating some of the giant jets that are going to be landing there, probably not a big deal, but... Um, I was just kind of taken aback by those numbers when I saw them. Well, I, you know, I, I wonder how much every other Grand Prix uh, that has, you know, airports around it, they end up charging. I, I wouldn't have thought it'd be much difference. I'm wondering why Las Vegas makes such a fuss about it, but uh, perhaps because it's just the first one. I think so. I yes, think that's and what it, it is. Yeah. yeah, and the this is not only just the private air, uh, private aircraft or aviation aspect of it, but there are so many. I've seen all kinds of stuff on on uh, the internet about people uh, complaining about F1 coming in and how, what kind of an effect it's having on the city of Las Vegas. I mean, this is just one of the many headaches that is going on. And a lot of people are not very happy with Formula One. 
Um, I'm hoping it'll be a good race. But hey, I do have a solution, though. You know, you talked about these PPRs, uh, prior permission required. Uh, in uh, the uh, Ops Bulletin, um, Ops Group, uh, their International Operations Bulletin, uh, today I read that um, a member provided uh, this lowdown on the shakedowns. <laughs> All available <laughs> PPR slots for Las Vegas, Henderson, and North Las Vegas for the upcoming F1 are full and have been full for over a month. They were available at $6,000 non-refundable. The only current option is to get a drop and go slot at only $3,500. This allows you 30 minutes on the FBO ramp to unload. You need to pay another $3,500 for a 30 minute pickup slot. So that's, you don't even get to keep the jet there and that's $7,000 unless you yeah. want to leave your customers there and figure they can figure out a way to get back or something. Um, rumor is large operations bought up slots early, locking out smaller individual operators. Hmm. It's no good. No good. Too many rich people. Too many rich people. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, the city is doing this, isn't it? I mean, yeah. the city invited. Yeah. It's not really formula ones. Problem. No, no, it's, no, it's the, the host city just going there because well, there's a race. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the city is associated with the race, right? But all of these, most of these fees are associated with the FBOs, hmm. and so you yeah. know they pay the city whatever a yearly rate to be able to operate on their chunk of land. Mm-hmm. So I would think this is going to be a real boon for them because they're probably not. I, I don't know how it works, but I would assume there is not a significant alteration to how uh how their lease works but you know this year they're going to have this influx of fees that they don't usually have i would think Windfall. yeah yeah well yeah as uh mentions <laughs> drop off at heathrow it's not quite that much but it's getting there Maybe. it's a little cheaper <laughs> yes <laughs> I, mean, just I thought you'd appreciate that one, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nick dropped me off uh, when I was there over the in the summertime, and he forgot to pay that whatever fee it is that you're supposed to pay, right? And then yeah, got penalized for not paying it, right? Nearly the full seven thousand dollars. Yeah, wow! F one attendees, so <laughs> and we are, and and it's a tie into F one because that's yeah. really the main yeah, reason why I was there was to see the uh, race. That was an expensive mistake. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks for uh, getting us up to date on that, Camacho. Um, this is uh, this next item from Aviation Herald um, involving an, an Allegiant uh, A320 near St. Petersburg on July 12th, actually north of St. Petersburg, on July 12th of this year. Uh, they ran into some turbulence. Uh, Liz is showing a uh, depiction from FlightAware of uh, the um, convective activity down there uh, in the central Florida uh, area and um, it's kind of hard to see, but about midway uh, in on the screen and the probably the bottom seventy five percent or twenty five percent up from the bottom, you'll see some some pretty intense activity and uh, that little line, that little green line you see, they started in Nashville, Asheville, North Carolina, and flew down and they were heading to St. Petersburg. You see that little bump, a uh, little swerve right there. They were avoiding some convective activity when they encountered the severe turbulence turbulence and if you'll just throw up the next um 
the arrival, Liz. Uh, they were coming in on oh, the uh, this well, particular. Oh, I shouldn't. Be, oh, just give it a chance. It's a PDF. Maybe. Oh, okay. Uh, well, maybe it never. Um, it never uh, it's resolved. Showing as a, it's showing in Keynote, but when I. But it's not showing on the late. screen. Hmm. Yeah, I know. Well, anyway, we were going to show the uh, the Dade's arrival and uh, the point. Uh, one of the fixes called Olean. And uh, that is coincident where that little swerve in their little flight path to get around that buildup occurred. So let me read the narrative. Handbrake. Uh, they were, um, what was that? Jim Fulton saying it looks like a handbrake turn. You know, a handbrake turn, obviously. Okay, I've never heard of a handbrake turn. Um, there must be. Well, a... you turn the steering wheel, Jeff, and as mm -hmm. the car starts turning, you pull the handbrake on, lock up the rear wheels, and you get a lovely skid going. Okay. Do a 180. Yeah. Okay. If you say so. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's see. Six. Let's see. They had 179 passengers, six crew. They were descending through about flight level 210 toward St. Petersburg when the aircraft encountered severe turbulence, causing injuries to four passengers and two cabin crew. The, the aircraft continued for a safe landing on St. Petersburg runway 18 about 17 minutes later. Four injured were taken to a hospital. The airline confirmed the aircraft experienced severe turbulence before landing and continued for a normal landing. Two passengers and two cabin crew were taken to a hospital for assessment. Uh, on October 20th, 2023, uh, this month, we're actually, no, we're in November now, but last month, the NTSB released their final report. Uh, it must have been in English because we don't see Simon ranting yeah. about it. <laughs> um, an inadvertent encounter with convective induced turbulence during descent. Hmm. Uh, let's see. The NTSB analyzed Allegiant flying from Asheville to St. Petersburg and kind of we talked about that before. Uh, the, the oh, here's, here's his, why this happened. The captain was a Czech pilot, Czech airman. Oh. Uh, the first officer yep. was a pilot flying. So there you go. I mean, nothing else to say, really. Just kidding. Uh, they established communication with ATC, reported that the airplane was descending across Capo, I think, uh, at flight level 270. The uh, controller notified the flight crew of an area of moderate to heavy precipitation at the airplane's 12 o'clock position, which was 45 miles away, and advised the crew to anticipate deviations to the right of the airplane's course. Anticipate handbrake turns, I think is what they said exactly. <laughs> the controller instructed 227 to descend and maintain flight level 190, deviate to the right of course upon leaving flight level 260, and proceed directly to the Olean intersection when able. Okay, so 227 was descending from flight level 230 when the controller instructed the crew to cross Olean at 13 and 250. Uh, the flight crew, member, crew members reported that they had started the descent, the air, well, let's see, that when they started the descent, the airplane was in clear air and the ride was relatively smooth. Yeah, it is like that when you're not in convective activity. The crew members also indicated that the initial crossing restriction for Olean was given late by ATC and that the airplane was about 4,500 feet high on the descent profile. So they, they deployed speed brakes, turned off the autopilot to meet the altitude and speed restrictions. The flight crew stated that no pilot reports, pyreps, were conveyed during the flight and airborne weather radar did not show any significant precipitation returns. Hmm. The, cap, the cabin crew members stated that although the seatbelt sign was on, 
they had not received the chimes that indicate final descent preparation should begin because the airplane had not yet descended through 10,000 feet. Uh, as uh, Flight 227 approached its level off altitude, flight crew members observed a small cumulus buildup at an altitude of about 13,000 feet that was unavoidable. According to the first officer, the clouds were not dark, looked no different than the clouds that the airplane had previously flown through. In fact, the quote was, oh, they look so soft and fluffy, like, <laughs> like marshmallows. As like he, a it's like a, like a nice little pillow. As the airplane entered the clouds, it encountered some minor expected jolts. And just before exiting, a severe jolt of turbulence occurred that lasted about one and a half seconds. After the turbulence encounter, the captain immediately called the cabin crew and was informed of multiple injuries. It's not what you want to hear. The captain declared an emergency and asked for priority handling directly to St. Petersburg. The airplane subsequently made an uneventful landing. There were four flight attendants working the flight. They had stated they just that just after the initial descent announcements, the lead uh, FA-1 was in the forward galley, FA-4 was in the aft galley, FA-2 and FA-3 were walking through the cabin conducting seatbelt compliance checks. As the flight attendants were completing their checks, the airplane encountered the turbulence and all four flight attendants contacted the ceiling and then the cabin floor. That's, that's pretty good. significant turbulence. Yeah, nasty. Yeah. Uh, so the uh, flight attendants two and four were provided medical assistance for serious injuries. Four passengers received minor injuries, and uh, the other two flight attendants were not injured. I noticed that flight attendant one and three were not injured. Uh, they're the odd ones, yeah? <laughs> they are. Well, you should have given me a heads up. I would have been ready with my rim shot. There we go. <laughs> uh, Explain to me, Jeff, are yes. you in a position to uh, take questions? Hang on, let me... Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I'm now in a, I'm in a position... Why, I'm in a why position again... <laughs> why again was this cloud unavoidable? Well, that is a good question, Captain Nick. <laughs> Thank you. I, I thought the I same thought thing when I read that. that <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Um, well, I, I mean, obviously they've been told when able go to this waypoint. Mm. But if you can't go there because there's a cloud queuing him in the way or whatever, you just say I can't. Unable. I can't comply. Yeah. Yeah. I've got. That's, to I've done it. it many, many times on this particular <laughs> yeah. arrival going into yeah. Tampa, which is just oh, right. close by, and it's the same arrival uh, for both sure. airports. And uh, yeah, it's it's not uncommon at all for there to be qu quite a bit of that kind of activity there. And uh, I've deviated plenty of times. Uh, yeah, I don't. You mean you're a deviant? I don't know. Yeah, I've been. I'm definitely a deviant, uh, Liz, and proud yeah. proud of it. Yeah, I, that that uh, hit me as well when I said uh, unable to avoid. Uh, maybe yeah. mm. sometimes you actually, when you're doing your your avoidance maneuvers, and you you might have something might be obscuring what's like just on the other side of this little buildup that we happen to be going around now, and then all of a sudden you pass that and you're rolling out and you go, uh oh. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you didn't see that one. Nope. Didn't, didn't see, see that, that coming. <laughs> and then you just kind of go, okay, hope this is not too bad. And you, you know, you just pray for the best and hope that you don't get that call from that chime uh, indicating that you have injured flight attendants or Indeed. injured passengers. Indeed. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, yeah, I don't know what else to say there. Uh, they just didn't avoid it well enough, I guess. 
Um, this also from the Aviation Herald. This is an interesting one. Again, on our theme of um, you know situational awareness and communications um, are uh, are involved here. Um, Orion Air seven thirty seven eight hundred registration Echo India Echo Bravo Echo performing flight nine seven three from Venice, Italy to London Stansted with 174 people on board, have been cleared to line up and wait, runway 4 right, uh, while low visibility procedures were in use. Acknowledged the clearance, they lined up and waited. An Iberia Airbus A321-200 registration Echo Charlie Juliet Romeo Echo performing flight 3242 from Madrid to Venice with 203 people on board was on final approach to runway 4 right, about five nautical miles before touchdown when tower cleared the uh, Ryanair that was lining up and waiting, uh, cleared them for takeoff. However, Flight 973 did not move. In the meantime, Flight 973, the Ryanair, observed the landing traffic on their TCAS. Hey, they're, they're doing what they're supposed to do, situationally aware. They are using their available resources like that TCAS to see that there was landing traffic coming in on that runway that they're sitting on. And with silence on the radio for over a minute, they began to transmit to the landing traffic, advising them of their presence on the runway. The landing aircraft, however, did not react. The Boeing crew, seeing the landing traffic descending through about 500 feet, began to apply thrust to vacate the runway in a hurry when tower finally could be heard instructing the landing traffic to go around, which was acknowledged by the crew. The A321 went around while the 737-800 maintained position. Uh, the Ryanair flight departed a few minutes later. The A321 positioned for another approach and landed without further incident. On September 15th, 2023, Italy's ANSV reported their short final report in Italian only. And then what follows and will not be um, stated at this point is uh, this was not something that made Simon happy. That it was in, in Italian only. It's a Simon rant. Um, yeah. The ANSV concluded the probable causes of the serious incident were the improper insertion of the headset connector into the plug for the telephone line by the Talk incoming tower again. controller resulting in the ability to transmit radio communication. Yeah, we thought we were having audio problems on today's recording. This right. is a major problem with a lot, uh, much more major problem with a lot of serious implications. So uh, I think that there was a controller um, exchange uh, at the point that they had already cleared the Ryanair flight to go onto the runway and hold. And this is low visibility conditions. Probably not a smart thing to have a controller change in the middle of this, especially when you have an airplane on the runway, your low-vis procedures, and there's somebody on final coming in. But they did. And it turns out that the incoming controller, the one that was taking over, didn't put his headphone uh, plug into the correct jack. And he thought he had cleared the Ryanair flight for takeoff. But of course, he didn't. it didn't transmit over the over the frequency. So the Ryanair pilots didn't hear a thing. Uh, the incoming tower controller did not detect the absence of the readback of the takeoff clearance. We've already talked about this many times. It's important for the uh, controller to hear that readback and to make sure that it's correct. The incoming controller was not able to identify the source of the problem, disabling him to transmit radio communication in time. The ergonomics of the tower control panel in relation to connectors for communication devices was an issue. 
and the low visibility conditions conditions at the time of the occurrence, disabling Echo Charlie Juliet Romeo Echo to see the traffic aligned and waiting on the runway. So the incoming uh, A321 flight obviously couldn't see the traffic on the runway because it was low vis conditions. Sounds like there was low visibility where he was trying to plug the thing in too. Yeah, Liz is making a good point. It must have been uh, low visibility in the tower cab as well because he couldn't see where to put the plug in that jack. Um, You know, I've got an idea here. Wouldn't it be a good idea when the incoming new controller plugs himself in, the outgoing controller doesn't remove his headset until the incoming controller has established communication. So he's made his first call and had it read back to him because the other controller had he just still been at his station a few more seconds could have fixed this problem yeah. so but i think you're right nick there's got to be multiple places to enter the um i would hope so anyway headphone jack because after all if, if you're supervising another controller you've got to be able mm. to have simultaneous communications right. for the supervisor to be able to transmit over the top of his student controller yeah. for example it's so funny. Um, those of us who have um, experience in in flying um, with and radio communications, you can always tell uh, when the supervisor is talking and taking over. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like oh, the, yeah. the voice is like completely different and usually a lot less agitated. It's calmer usually, and uh, you can just hear them methodically fixing yeah. things that the student kind of messed up. Yeah. And the instructions you've just been given are completely now opposite. Yeah, disregard. <laughs> disregard. Yeah, disregard with all that stuff. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Anyway. Well, we all got to learn. And I, I suppose it's probably the same thing for them. They probably uh, get the same effect when there's somebody up in an airplane uh, that is a student and an instructor, and they kind of they know immediately when they hear the other voice, oh, yep, that's the instructor's voice right there, not the student. Um all right. Um, continuing on in uh, Berlin, or was this in Berlin? Air Berlin. Air Berlin. Air Berlin. Okay. In Phuket. Oh, Watch it's in Phuket. 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 Yeah, yes, that's what you say. Um, I don't though, because um, well, I guess the FCC doesn't really um, uh, monitor uh, podcasts, so I guess you're free to whatever say whatever you want. Um, <laughs> Okay. Uh, uh, on, don't, don't say that. Don't give them that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sure. But this Free is rain. Woohoo! This is a family. Yeah, I've had a couple of Guinnesses, you know. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> that's never a good thing. Family um, show, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to find that. Uh, no, it's here somewhere. It's probably like right here. Let's see what if I hit F. Uh, family show, ladies and gentlemen. Family Excellent. show. Excellent. Bingo. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Well done. Okay. Um, now, what have I done with? Um, my Evernote. <laughs> I, was, I was doing a, uh, a a keyboard shortcut, and I thought I was in my sound playing app, and I wasn't. I was in Evernote at the time, and that uh, sound, I mean, that keyboard shortcut uh, ended up doing something kind of weird. I don't see my, I don't see the uh, current show notebook anymore. Hmm. Well, you know what? Maybe this would be a good time to over. hand this off to Captain Nick because I think that you can plug in now. Yeah, you go ahead, and we're going to go ahead, and uh, I'm going to. Move off unplug. station and un- unplug. If you'll go ahead and plug in and take this next news item. Yeah, Captain. okay, I have control. Okay. Um, I, the the problem with this uh, final report is it doesn't really set the scene, so uh, I'm not exactly. Well, set the scene enough. for us. 
I'm pretty well. He, I, I don't know the details because there's no scene setting. Oh, uh, I'm assuming the the incident occurred at Phuket. Whoa, hey! Uh, and Whoa, well, hang on, an, hang on, hang on. Something's happening. There's on, a home invasion, by. home intrusion. Oh, no. um, uh oh, what's going yeah, on, look. Jeff? Oh, it's it's the ugly one. It's, no, it's it's, it's the, the good looking Captain Jeff. The good looking hey, Captain man. Jeff. Wow, brilliant. Two Jeffs. Hey, I knew he was coming. I just didn't tell anybody except Liz. But uh, Captain <laughs> Nick and <laughs> Nick Camacho didn't know that he oh, was wow. going to be uh, making a special appearance today. Hillel sent me to unplug the toilet. <laughs> Hillel sent him to. <laughs> did, you, did you bring the plunger? Yeah. Okay, excellent. Uh, well, I was going to say we're all laughing now, but let's watch Jeff try to get a mic working for him. Hey. Yeah, that's going to be fun. <laughs> There's a microphone right here, and he's going to grab the. Uh <laughs> oh. I just messed that up. Nothing new there. I know. So he's getting the uh, microphone situated. I'm going to go ahead and unmute. And uh, that might be. Is that too close? To, uh, let's see. Oh, I need to adjust the camera. A little bit, yeah. Little uh, so they can see. Oh, actually, I think this is a good. This is a good yeah, it's shot. Just my shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually showing more of you than I, I really want. Shoulder to shoulder. Uh, let's see. Here we go. We're gonna go like that, and I'm gonna zoom out a little bit. And uh, there we go. Look at that. Have you Looks even good. started yet? Oh yeah, we oh, wow. uh, we've been going for a little over an hour. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I'm, I'm so happy you were able to come in. I, he too. said he was going to be coming into uh, PDK. And I said, well, you know, if you want to be on the show, we're recording this afternoon. And uh, he said, I'm going to be landing right after you go. Oh, you need to. I landed right as uh, you guys started. All right. Uh... Yeah, I thought I uh, felt the earth move as you <laughs> landed. <laughs> he, he, he doesn't hear what you're saying, Nick. He said he thought, that's good. That's good. That's perfect. He said, I, I thought I heard the earth move or felt the earth move when you landed. Love you too, Nick. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, and then this is the volume control for you right there. So, okay. Say something, uh, crew. Hello. Hello. Ah, Hello, Jeff. Hey there. Hello, guys. Okay, we still need to situate this a little better. Okay. There we go. Good seeing you again, Nick. You too. Both Nicks. Yep. Hi. Good yeah. seeing you. There we go. Now we can see everybody. <sighs> okay. So we were just covering. We're going to get caught up. All caught up in the uh, getting to know us segment. Oh, with, my uh, goodness. I could take Captain an hour. Jeff. And I have, a, I have a little something to give. <laughs> yes. Well, hey, Jeff you here. better turn your Finally. camera off before you do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's later on tonight. I want to see oh, okay. how much it survived. The oh, wait a minute, he's. Uh, can you hear him? Okay, it sounds like he's not the no, same. No, he's pretty quiet. Oh, yeah. his mic is off. Okay, wait. No, I, I'm gonna just bump up the uh, fader here. Bump up the volume. No, I, there's nothing you can do there. Go ahead and talk, right. talk, talk. Testing one, two, three. Oh, that looks so good, Nick. <laughs> a little bit. Oh, no, I wish I had some of that to it offer you. It is good. You. I promise you. <laughs> oh, I just good. did it again. Yes, you did. <laughs> did. Ding. It wasn't as bad as that first time, though. I thought that was Jeff's sound effect. No. <laughs> Ding. Um, so the title right. box it says we've got Jeff, Jeff, and Nick, Nick. Oh, wow. Oh, we do. Oh, indeed. Good Jeff, Jeff, Nick, Nick. The squared episode. Okay. Yeah. Well done. Okay. Well, uh, so how, is he sounding okay? Am I right can... now? I hear myself yeah, now on my headset, good. which I didn't before. Okay. Let me make sure. Yeah, it sounds good. Good here. in here. Yep. Yeah, looks like it's good. Okay. Okay. So we were 
discussing um, this news item. Um, you have to be careful the way you pronounce that word. Uh, an Air Berlin A33200. So, Nick, go ahead and try to take over from where you were before. Well, yeah, I, I, I'm assuming that this uh, Airbus A300, 330, sorry, 200 series was on its way into Phuket. Um, and or, or it might have actually got airborne from Phuket. You said, I don't know. Well, what do you reckon, Liz? Do you know? I think she just left. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, well. Anyway. I, I think I said something insulting, but I'm not they're sure. They're in the was. region of Phuket, and they have an uncontained engine failure and fire. And this is the final report. So I'm going to skip the first bit, because I think that's pretty irrelevant, um, and go on to say that um, the flight crew noticed engine damage because of sound and vibration and warnings and information on their ECAM. So... Um, out of interest, it was, I think, an interstellar blade failed and uh, caused some damage in the engine. Um, the, but they, when they pulled the thrust lever of the left engine back, um, the temperature and the vibration values uh, reduced such that they were now in a safe uh, situation. So the temperature had come down from its uh, over-temperature situation and the vibration had decreased and the engine had switched from its normal mode called EPA where it gives you an indication of engine speed as a pressure and gone back to N1 mode where it's just telling you the speed of the front fan of the engine um, and um, it can be assumed it says that in this phase no further engine damage occurred. Um, now, the pilot in command uh, assumed severe engine damage. So even though they throttled back and the parameters on the engine had returned to a satisfactory level, uh, he decided um, he wanted to shut the engine down. And uh, they followed ECAM actions because they wanted to regain a high degree of automatic flight, a classic Airbus technique. Um, now, when the... Uh, engine controller, the FADAC, um, offered them to go back to full EPA mode on the engine. Uh, the crew decided that they would do that, and they reselected the mode, even though it wasn't necessary, and even though the current situation was satisfactory. Um, sadly, when it went back into EPA mode, the thrust of the engine, the speed of the engine was increased by the FADEC uh, to gain a certain minimum EPA value. And that brought the engine back into a dangerous regime. So the uh, engine gas, the exhaust gas temperature, sorry, uh, increased out of limits. So they got over temperature warning. And as a result, the skipper decided to shut the engine down. Um, now, had they not had they not tried to mess about with the engine, they got it into a safe state, left it there. Had they done that, they could have kept that engine idle for the rest of the flight, and they would uh, have had retained uh, all the services that that engine provides. Now, bec because of the vibration, and I'm just speaking now from memory because this is quite a long document, um, the 
green hydraulic system, which is the main hydraulic system in an Airbus, uh, started to leak in that engine area because of the vibration on the pipe sh was shook loose. Uh, and um, they started to get warnings of a hydraulic leak. And of course, because they'd shut that engine down, they'd also lost their blue hydraulic system. So just as, as an aside, the green hydraulic system is powered by both engines. So shutting down one engine, you don't lose the hydraulic system because the other engine's powering it. But the blue system is um, on the left engine and the yellow system's on the right engine. So uh, shutting down that left engine, you definitely lost the blue and uh, you've also lost one of the green pumps. But because they had a green hydraulic leak, they're also le losing green fluid. Um, now, the the uh, first officer now, the skipper I think is flying it, the first officer is doing the drills now. And uh, he has been told to monitor the leak rate on because what the drill requires, and it's there on the screen, uh, of the green hydraulic system. Because they've had a warning of a hydraulic green system leak and he's told to uh, leak rate monitor now he obviously didn't understand what this required um, which is a bit surprising because every time we have hydraulic failures you're probably going to come across this but he was shouting out the figures for the hydraulic pressure and that's hydraulic pressure is not a leak rate uh, it all right eventually when you run out of fluid the pressure will drop but there's actually a contents <laughs> gauge it's not a gauge it's a um a strip uh for the green system and there's a little tag on it as well uh which tells you when the warning will come on and you you basically watch the contents go down uh and that's it's <laughs> monitoring the leak you actually see the contents of the hydraulic reservoir and you look at it and you go oh that's not very good <laughs> that's a fast leak or it's, it's not a, it's not a real rate but you're basically looking at to see if you've got enough uh, if you're losing hydraulic pressure so fast that you won't have any for landing so um the i've had several green hydraulic failures in airbuses and almost every occasion when we've realized that it's, the fluid is leaking, we've managed to turn off the green hydraulic system and save it for those essential bits of kit that we'll need to put out, like the undercarriage and things like that. Um, so yeah, <laughs> for, for that. landing. So, uh, you know, we've, uh, we, when we come to the gear, we turn the hydraulics back on, put the gear down, and usually that absorbs so much hydraulic uh, fluid to fill the jacks that uh, the system finally fails. But we get the gear down. And then you're going, well, that's great. Yeah, okay, hey, we're the After boys. That. We haven't had to use the emergency system to get the gear down. Um, but they didn't realize this. And I think most of their fluid leaked away. And um, they then had a double hydraulic failure. They'd lost all of the green system and the blue system, which is not nice in any aircraft. And it's certainly not nice in an Airbus. You're only left with one hydraulic system driven by the good engine. You've lost a lot of the primary systems uh, like normal uh, undercarriage lowering and things like that. So there's obviously a bit of, of a problem of the crew's interpretation and actions uh, in this emergency. Um, they 
carry on and land, uh, which is fine. Um, usually after one of these failures, you can't taxi because you've got no nose wheel steering. That's the thing. You might be able to ease the airplane off the runway and clear it for the next guy coming in. Um, but uh, that's the problem. So a, f a few errors, I think, have been isolated um, that the crew made. Uh, and they're, they're criticized uh, because they did a lot of these actions without uh, discussing it with the other crew member. So the skipper shut down the engine without discussing it. Uh, now, this, the, skip, the skipper is the captain. He's allowed to do that, but it's really not good practice just to arbitrarily decide you're going to shut an engine down without mentioning it to the other crew member. And uh, there are a few other incidences where people did things independently, like uh, the first officer had decided that they were going to return to Phuket without um, talking it over with the captain. Uh, and a few other things. So there are definitely CRMs, some learning what you're saying. Points. Great CRM. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Perfect CRM. <laughs> uh, I might, uh, just out of interest, mention that the airline involved in this incident no longer exists. And mm. uh, I end, probably ended up flying this airplane uh, because uh, my company bought the old uh, Air Berlin A330s. Uh, and they came to us in what I would call a relatively poor state of repair and modification <laughs> level, such that we refer to them as the Berlin bombers. And uh, we knew that if you got allocated one of those airplanes, the chances were you might not get airborne. <laughs> oh, my. But once you got airborne, you're probably okay. Well, you hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> Anyway, that's that's this final report as best I can uh, interpret it. Uh, and bearing mm -hmm. in mind, I've had a couple of guinea tonight. Mm -hmm. Excellent, great uh, analysis and coverage, uh, Captain Nick. I know you'd much, be much better at it than than myself, having never had the experience of. Uh, an opportunity of flying that wonderful airplane, that Airbus A330. Well, you would have loved it. <laughs> okay. oh, he, he's chucking up a little bit. Wait a minute. Uh, Heimlich maneuver. Heimlich maneuver. Yeah. Just, just. The, the eagle driver's coughing up feathers again. <laughs> is he? All right. Um, let's uh, move on to this next item. What do you think? Uh, the Aviation Herald. Uh, this is a Skytrans uh, Dash 8. Uh, that uh, took off from Brisbane, Queensland to Chinchilla, uh, Queensland in Australia with 26 passengers and three crew were nearing the top of descent when the crew received a right-hand engine control unit uh, ECU fault indication, which meant reverse thrust would not be available for landing. The crew worked the related checklist. You can kind of see where this is going. Uh, the crew worked the related checklist and decided to continue to Chinchilla. The air aircraft touched further down than normal on Chinchilla's runway 32. Uh, it's a it's a huge runway. It's a 1,069 meters, which is 3,500 feet uh, and 59 feet wide, or 18 meters wide, with an acceptable tailwind component of five knots. For unknown reasons, the right-hand outboard main wheel locked up with anti-skid, also disabling the left outboard main brakes, thus reducing brake effectiveness by about 50%. Yeah, they're now below 50% brake effect effectiveness. Liz is going to probably help us out with that. Um, while assessing the, there we go, 
below 50%. Um, while assessing the brakes performance, the crew missed an important call to transition to steering tiller. In an attempt to slow the aircraft, the captain applied reverse thrust. The aircraft began to veer to the left. Remember, the right reverse is not working. Uh, the aircraft began to veer to the left, and the captain elected to use the emergency brakes to stop the aircraft. The aircraft came to a stop with the left main gear off the sealed surface of the runway. The Australian TSB released their final report, concluding the probable causes of the incident were... After landing, the anti-skid system activated when the outer right main wheel locked up, resulting in reduced braking effectiveness. Oh, by the way, it was also a wet runway. While managing the combination of unrelated technical failures affecting directional control, the aircraft veered off the narrow runway. Uh, the other factors that increased risk, the operator's procedures for maintaining an ECU or managing an ECU failure did not include consideration of other factors that could increase the required landing distance, including a tailwind and a wet runway or that a narrow runway increased the risk of a veer off due to asymmetric thrust. The acceptable means of compliance guidance material did not clearly convey the intention of the Civil Aviation Safety Regulations 1998 Part 121 Australian Larger Aeroplanes Manual of Standards 2020 Subsections 9.10 through 9.13. I mean, Easy for we you pretty to much say. have all I that. We have it by heart, actually. We don't need to refer to the actual manual. Uh, landing performance must be assured at all times. Um, so, uh, yeah, um, that uh, was interesting. They, Because they had this, they already knew that they weren't going to have the right-hand reverse and then, you know, c compound that with, um, yeah, I was trying to get rid of the uh, blank square there. Sorry. <laughs> in our in our view um so i'm going to go ahead and solo uh this one um the um where was i the fact that they had some a lack of certain items to perform a successful non-veering landing um you know we're, we're in effect here and um i'm sorry i'm so distracted let me pop myself back like that okay and uh so it's a narrow runway wet runway and we're gonna watch nick eating and drinking his guinness um and uh i don't know what else to say i'm just i'm not even sure what i'm saying right now well they got bit by the fact that the sticking anti-skid that that tire locking up that wheel locking up just really bit them bad probably because of the wet runway caused that lock up and then the and it's good was working the way it was supposed to but then it kind of broke it's what well, the wheel shouldn't lock on a wet runway that's the whole point of the end it echoing, shouldn't lock Jeff. the brake well, am i echoing. am i echoing no yeah. i mean it's just because we have two microphones in close proximity oh, okay ways. all right okay um but you know if you got the right reverser out and then the left wheel right locks it kind of stops the right wheel from doing any braking so you, you got one reverser one engine to reverse with and the nose wheel steering is all you got to really stop with the one reverser. So they, he's between a rock and a hard place here and not expecting it. The five knot tail one didn't help either, but that's well within limits. Right. But if you're landing on a 35 foot, 3,500 foot runway with a five knot tailwind in, on a wet runway, that's Liz's phone. <laughs> um, it gets, it gets complicated here. Um, <laughs> I noticed. Yeah. Um, and then, again, trying to manage two microphones in close proximity is not easy either, so I'm going to mute yours and keep mine open. Um, anywho, uh, yeah, so there are a lot of considerations here that maybe 
they kind of brushed off a little bit, maybe. I don't know. It's still, there's a lot going on here for this crew to handle. I mean, I, I don't, I've never, the Dash 8, if it's anything like the turboprop I flew years ago, it stops on a dime. So 3,500 feet isn't a real big problem. Wet and the tailwind adds a little bit to it. But that's, again, that's well within limits. of. I think it's, it's more just a combination of the, the lock, the left wheel locking up when they weren't expecting it. Oh. Be interesting. Report really finally finds out what's wrong with the brakes. Be interesting to know. Yeah. I had no idea. I didn't know you flew the dash, eh? No, I didn't. I flew a, a, a light turboprop in the service, an OV10. Oh, okay. Okay. So you're kind of familiar with. Yeah. yeah. When you put those prop, those big props in the reverse, they're like barn doors out there. They work much better than the, the reversals on a jet. Okay. Uh, Jeff, forgive me, I just nipped out for a minute. Is this the one where the crew bashed the tiller, uh, the one which Steph was talking about, and the airplane leapt off the runway? Uh, no, that was the that was on an island, uh, and it was a um, it was a twin otter in that ah, case. Ah, that's right. Okay, all right, not to worry. Another Canadian aircraft. Yeah, another oh, they faulty. Just, yeah, they're just falling Canadian off runways left, right, and center, aren't they? <laughs> Hey, I'm doing my best, folks, to try to keep the uh, the echoing um, microphones uh, from okay. um, okay. doing it, their thing. But just mute me. Go ahead, and mute me. Okay. I'll take, I'll take care. Of okay, it. he's going to be in charge of his own mute button there, and we'll try to one just last, unmute when we have in? something to say. Well, since uh, I am still talking, I might as well continue on with this. Uh, where am I? No, I don't know why that's selected. Hang on, I'm going to have to use the mouse. Uh, that's the feedback section. We're not down there yet. Nope. Um, which one are we doing now? We're doing K. K. Delta at Omaha. Oh, okay. All right, here we go. The next item uh, from the Aviation Herald uh, involves a Delta Airlines Airbus A320-200 performing flight 2295 from Atlanta to Omaha, Nebraska. With 147 passengers and six crew was on approach to Omaha's runway 32 left when birds impacted the aircraft's nose. Hmm. I would bet that the aircraft's nose impacted the birds. That's the way I would kind of look at it as far as <laughs> physics is concerned. Uh, anyway, the aircraft continued for safe landing on runway 32 left. The aircraft remained on the ground in Omaha until January 10th, 2023, then positioned to Atlanta and still on the ground in Atlanta on March 10th. Wow, that's three months on the ground in Atlanta. There's some serious damage here. Uh, the NTSB reported they had opened an investigation, and so it looks like on October 17, last month, uh, the NTSB released their final report. Uh, said that uh, they struck several birds while descending through 13,000 feet on approach to Epley Airfield, Omaha. The bird strike occurred about 34 miles southeast of the airport near Red Oak, Iowa, at an airspeed of 290 knots. The crew continued the approach, made a normal landing. Weather at the time of the event was night visual conditions. Birds struck the airplane and punctured the fuselage skin in two locations on the left side. One above the cockpit windows and another near the pitot tube. Another bird punctured the skin on the right side of the fuselage below the cockpit window. Damage was evident to the stringers and frames at each location, and the size of the punctures in total exceeded the size of the outflow valve. Hmm. The damage adversely affected the structural strength and pressurization performance and required a major repair. 
Flight crew described the noise as the strike occurred as being like an explosion. The cabin depressurized. The cockpit door blew open. The captain reported that the wind noise was extreme, which made communication difficult. Soon after the strike, the airplane descended through 10,000. The cabin altitude matched the airplane altitude at about 9,500 feet, so there was zero PSID. At that point, the crew declared an emergency, continued the approach to Omaha, and landed uneventfully. The species of birds was identified. Was this just an excuse to explain away some severe flatulence? It it might be a very extreme way to to do that. Particularly when the cockpit door blew open. I think I know what caused that. Well, not to mention all the exterior damage and holes. (laughs) Indeed. Are they sure that the bird came in? They They weren't punches going outwards? Uh, Jeff, uh, uh, Colonel Jeff has a has a has a good question. Was Captain Al on board? Ah, the very good question, indeed. Yes, he might have been having a cockpit visit. <laughs> well, you might be interested to know, and probably are not. The species of birds identified as either snow goose or Ross's goose. Okay, never heard of that. Uh, DNA testing could not discriminate between the two. Well, I mean, it's hard to discriminate between Ross's. Uh, goose and snow goose. Did they do some snarts? Okay. Uh, There were no pilot reports of bird activity in the area near the time of the accident. So then obviously... They're they're cruising along at a pretty high altitude, uh, those geese, aren't they? They are, yeah. 13 grand. 13,000. That's way up there. I just just had a similar... I went between them up in Montreal about a month ago. Some two large flocks of geese. Pretty high up, about 15 grand. Wow. Wow. I was glad I was in a little airplane because I went between them. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Excellent piloting skills, obviously. Yeah. What can we say? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> good job. Good job, Jeff. Oh, yeah. That Jeff. Better lucky than good. That's exactly true. Exactly right. Yeah. And uh, being lucky and good is the best. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, that's what she said. To get, that, that's, let's get to know us now. Let's, yeah, let's do that, Liz. That's a great idea. So here we go. We're going to push this button, and it's now time for us to get to know us. <laughs> we get to uh, you to get to know us. We to get to know you. Get, you, you get the idea. It's uh, the time of the show where we're going to get all caught up. And uh, let's start off with this guy here. It's been a while since you've been on uh, the APG, sir. I think it's 500 was the last time I was on the show down in uh, down at the airport in Atlanta. And oh, it uh, could be. Yeah. Since then, I've been do- I've done uh, changed jobs, still flying uh, for the rich people. Had some interesting passengers, some good, some bad, mostly good. Uh, got to see some very small airports, some very big airports. Uh, I got to see a runway come alive with seagulls one day in Delaware. Um, been to places I didn't know existed in the United States so that you could actually land at. Um, got used to an even smaller cockpit than the 7.3 and a Phenom 300. Uh, I think I wear this airplane. I put it on when I get in. It's, it's, not, it's not a huge airplane, huh? No. We hold 8 to 10 people depending on the configuration. We have uh, the company I fly for is 18 jets. And... Uh, they're all Garmin systems. They used uh, the Garmin 3000 for the most part. We have just a couple with the Garmin 1000. We're I've learned how to. Sp- in the chat that they can hardly hear, Jeff. Oh, okay. Shall I get closer? Um, I will try to speak up. The uh, 
I've learned how to spell Garmin. I don't know what the last letter in that word is yet, but I'm getting there. It's been a year. <laughs> it's it's weird how quickly everything aligns because it's all GPS based. And uh, I know why uh, Pilot Pip calls it the lemon. It doesn't break very often, but when it does, it does some really goofy things. Um, but uh, you know, I've had a good time. I've had a good time flying. I've been trying to keep up with everybody and what's going on. Notice that Rick is never here. Steph's stealing my hat, Just taking it river rafting. And uh, so, but yeah, it's, it's good to see you all in person and talk to you in person instead of in tape delay or listening into the podcast later. Do you have later. something to present to Jeff, Jeff? I do have something to present to Jeff. So let me, let me go and get that and I'll be right back. Okay. Well, he's doing that. Um, the um, the one thing that I did, and I'd like to thank uh, Armando for this. We got together, uh, myself and Stephen Ivy, and Armando did uh, a little bit on Plane Talking UK about 135 operations and differences between how fractionals work versus charter companies work. And uh, that was a lot of fun just to sit down and talk with those two about how we do things. Oh, my goodness. It does look much better on me than it does it does on him. Why is my hat wearing a condom? (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to know where that hat's been. (laughs) This is the way that Jeff wears his uh, cap, you know, know, underneath the headset. That does look very impressive. (laughs) Oh, my. I was just showing my co-pilot today that the last picture I took in a 7.3, and uh, it's... I'm looking into the cockpit and you can see the top of my suitcase and sitting on the center console right behind the throttles is my hat. So I'm uh, really happy to be getting this back. Kept it nice and, and uh, protected. He took he good, took good care of it considering it's not an Acme hat. It's an Ajax hat. So it's a much higher quality than my hat. <laughs> That's not saying a whole lot. No. All right. Next. All right, who wants to go next? Um, well, Nick, um, Captain Nick is uh, I was swigging ask, the Guinness. I was going to ask uh, the good-looking Captain Jeff if he has any trips to Las Vegas coming up with those rich people airplanes. No, I don't. It, I've In been to Colorado Springs. It's a little tough for us. Uh, I just went to Tulsa from Teterboro the other day, and that's about as far west as I can get this time of year with the headwinds. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. The airplane does not have the legs to go that far. Uh, it's two oh, yeah. stops for us. To, I take families out to Colorado Springs from New Haven, Connecticut routinely. They are parents from cadets of the Air Force Academy, and uh, they go out to see their sons. They're both hockey players. Um, and uh, it's it's a, I have to go down to Bahamas to pick up this sports fisherman, too, which I landed this remote island with 4,500 feet of runway, and I have to land there at max landing weight so I have enough gas to get out of there. Uh, wow. It's pretty sporty. So. <laughs> Now, Jeff, you should tell Jeff why we're talking about Las Vegas, just to clue him in. Yeah, we were um, we were talking about a story uh, earlier where uh, the PPR um, deposits for using uh, some of the local airports, like um, you know the the main airport and then Henderson and North Las Vegas Executive, were like six thousand six thousand five hundred dollars. Uh, and I thought Newark was bad. I think their landing fee is like twenty five hundred dollars. Wow! Oh, good grief! So I guess it's not that bad when you think about it. Yeah. 
No, not bad at all. All right. <sighs> um, next, next uh, Nick Camacho, why don't you tell us uh, what you've been up to, sir? Any engine news? Engine, yeah, any engine uh, uh, news? No, not much engine news. Yeah. I spent, uh, I was just on a few days ago. It feels like it was just a few days ago. It just was a few days ago. Friday. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And I spent uh, the weekend going to a, uh, a maintenance class. I. Uh, oh, yeah, I was you were telling us about that in. last show. Yeah, I was able to sit in on the uh, the Bonanza Society, which is the type club for Bonanzas and Barons. Uh, they put on a... Uh, a uh, beach mechanics maintenance academy, which is a uh, you know specific type specific uh, maintenance issues with bonanzas and barons they see regularly. So they they cover a lot of stuff relating to uh, gear rigging, um, specific engine installation issues they see, and then uh, flight control rigging and stuff like that. And it was a, a day and a half, and it was really a great uh, experience to go there and. Uh, definitely makes me appreciate the support that uh, the Bonanza community has with such a large type club. But I uh, was able to go in and, and listen to two of their uh, technical advisors provide that class and spent half the time in a classroom and half the time out at a hangar at the airport uh, taking a Bonanza apart and doing gear swings and, and all the uh, inspections that I've kind of mentioned in the past. So that was my uh, main... That was my main aviation um, endeavor this week. Yeah, I've continued to uh, doing some stripping on my firewall to get it Ooh, cleaned up. Yep, and uh, yeah, slowly, slowly moving closer. Excellent. I, I was doing some stripping too in the last few days, but I really can't go into the details. That explains. Yeah, that's fair. That explains fair. the pole in the back of the room. Something special for Jeff later. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm leaving. <laughs> uh, how about uh, anything else, uh, Camacho? No, All right. that's it. All right, good, I, good. I, I think I'm. I think I might be traveling next week uh, to the to the land of Rick, but I think he's gone for a while. So. Yeah, he's down under. Um, I'm gonna miss him. It sounds like. Yeah. Dang it. All right, uh, Captain Nick. Um, so I know that you've been doing the lecture circuit in the last several weeks, and uh, I think maybe very recently you had another talk. Uh, oh, today. In, indeed, Jeff. That's really been the the highlight of my week was uh, earlier today because uh, um, I was lecturing at the Brooklands Museum. You remember we both visited that, um, and. Uh, Attending that lecture was a guy from the Hawker Association. Now, Hawker's very famous uh, British aircraft manufacturer started off really as uh, Sopworth. Uh, you know, the guys when that Nick built the Sopworth Camel. Do you want him to go over the cover art? They were quite a famous company anyway. Um, they ran out of money, and uh, when they reformed, someone funded them. Okay, uh, They I'm ready. changed the name to Hawker, and I'm not quite sure why, but probably to, something to do with the guy that gave them all the money. Um, they became Hawkers, and, uh, of course, Hawkers built all sorts of pre-World War II biplanes, and then they built the Hawker Hurricane, which, of course, we know was... Probably the most stalwart fighter in uh, the Battle of Britain. In fact, the whole of the 
uh, Second World War because they got more kills than the Spitfire did, that's for sure. The Spitfire was the thoroughbred, but the the Hawker Hurricane was, uh, you know, the aircraft with the fantastically stable gun platform that took on all the bombers. Anyway, uh, they went on and they built um, whole stables of thoroughbred aircraft, including the Hawker Hunter, which I flew in training, and the Hawker Harrier. Uh, you know, they're just a brilliant company. Went on to be amalgamated with other companies into British Aerospace. But um, the okay. Hawker Association really is uh, anyone who's worked for uh, any of the companies uh, from Sopwith onwards up to British Aerospace. And uh, they have a get-together and they wanted someone to come and talk to them. So since I'm pretty cheap... <laughs> They invited me. But uh, what a lovely bunch of uh, guys, um, mainly very uh, well-qualified engineers. Uh, there was another pilot there, um, uh, Chris, who uh, was a Harrier test pilot, and um, he had flown in the Air Force, a career quite similar to me, although I went to Phantoms, he went to Harriers. But we both were QFIs, we were both... QWIs, so uh, followed, followed along with that. Very nice chap, and uh, I wish I had more time to chat to him. And also a surprise visitor from America. So <laughs> I got a, an email uh, early this morning saying that our wonderful show uh, friend, uh, listener, uh, Sam Dawson, was on his way over. He works for uh, you... I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say his airline, actually. I better not. Just Untied. Acme yeah. Tulip. Yes, exactly right. Uh, a, the uniform uh, will give it away um, to for an airline on a, on a Boeing and uh, flew in this morning and uh, said, look, I'm going to be in the country. Uh, I've just about got the timing right, I think, uh, so I can come across and listen to your lecture. So... Uh, poor chap, he, having spent the whole night flying across the Atlantic. Do you stay away? Yeah, well, yeah, just about. I was, I said, look, you, you talking, nod Jeff. off. <laughs> Don't worry about it. But uh, he, he did a flight time there out, there out of uh, Newark. He said, for a start, they were really impressed because they got off on time. And um, then they only had a, a six and a bit hour flight time. So uh, he had time to jump on a train. I uh, picked him up on the way to the venue uh, from uh, a, a railway station in Kingston, and uh, he sat through sat through my my talk, uh, which um, was went down very well. It seemed uh, that re really they're very polite chaps, uh, and um, they gave me three rounds of applause. I don't know quite what I did to deserve that. And uh, I was given all sorts of books and um, little gifts, bottle of wine. So really definitely worth making the effort nice. to go along and see them. And then uh, I dragged uh, uh, Sam off for a beer. We found a local hostelry and sat down in some lovely big leather chairs in front of a roaring fire and uh, supped a, a couple of pints of uh, London Pride. Um, before um, he had to dive back to his hotel to rest for the flight home. And, of course, I had to drive back to get back in time to be on the show. So I'm a little bit on the weary side, but uh, had a thoroughly good day, actually. Now, I've got some audio from Sam. 
uh, and some pictures from uh, giving the lecture, uh, but that will have to wait till next week because uh, I didn't have time to get that. I was starting to panic a little bit because I'm thinking, oh, I didn't know that. Where is that? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So we're, we'll panicking. Nothing new there. It, uh -huh. Yeah, very true. We will revisit this next week, but uh, basically a good week. And uh, I've now run out of lectures for a little while, so that's great. I can uh, relax and uh, concentrate on the next plane tale, which I'm still uh, concocting. Uh, and uh, the title of which I have, but I think it's, uh, I can't remember what it is right now. <laughs> so did you, um, did you hear uh, how what Liz said and how mean she is to me. Oh yes. I've been listening to Liz. She's not. Uh, oh yeah. We, you you we all are yeah. under um, the wrong impression of the lovely Liz. Do you want to talk about last Liz. week's cover art? Uh, no. Yeah, I could do last week's cover okay, art. Okay, go now, ahead. <laughs> for some reason we had a size. We were talking about death and for, for the there life of cartoons, me. There was a cartoon sent in with a guy sitting in the We bathroom. had a, oh, that's right. Liz reminds me. We had a cartoon sent in with uh, death on it. So uh, we ended up with uh, the Scythe Wars as opposed to the Star Wars. So um, I <laughs> got our AI friend to generate uh, Darth Vader um, and Obi-Wan Kenobi having a battle uh, and replace their lightsabers with scythes and thought, well, actually, yeah, um, the Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, needs to uh, have a different there? face. So um, okay, got uh, it. you need to zoom in Your, on Obi-Wan Kenobi's face and we'll see if you can work out who it is. Don't be fooled by the beard is all yeah. I can say. The other guy. No, the other guy, not. <laughs> yeah. Hey, he looks, looks a little familiar beard. to me, like um, yes, somebody that I, I see every might. morning when he I look in the like mirror. The audio's not working, and he's really annoyed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's just saying you're looking very grumpy because the audio is not working. That is but, an uh, expression yeah. that I have uh, quite often, actually. Yeah, when the audio yeah, doesn't work indeed. the way so it's supposed we, to. Uh, I superimposed Captain Jeff's uh, face there. So. Uh, you look great, actually. I think Jeff. I like the beard. Uh, well, thank you. That's uh, one of my better uh, pictures. Uh, yeah, that, that has uh, been. Snapped and if you me. swing left, you can find uh, the show number on the chest plate of uh, Darth, Vader. Darth Vader. Down, down. There we go. The three of the there red. There you ones. go. The uh, see on ah, the left, there you got a five and a nine. On the right, you've got a two. Ah, oh, yeah, I did look, and I was not successful in uh, oh, seeing that. Yeah. Oh, what a shame. Oh, dear. Well, you need to get you some new glasses, I think. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, another another great um, assisted, um, mid-journey assisted, but you had to do yeah. a lot of your Just own. You yeah, they, they always start off with a, with a reasonable picture, but in order to make it you know, special, because I, I did ask them to make them fight with scythes and they obviously didn't know what a scythe was <laughs> well, i hope boxes knows why you got the three rounds of applause there nick this is <laughs> yeah so indeed uh, yeah uh, i hope boxes yes. in our live audience says, uh, took the man three rounds of applause before he realized his zipper was still open yeah well at least they <laughs> at were, least they were and not, yeah they weren't booing. Not laughing so <laughs> That, that's a uh, yeah. That's a change from the usual reaction. Cap, 
Jim, oh, that's yeah. good. Me? Oh, I've just been doing like the thing I do every weekend. I'm singing. Lots of singing in this case. Uh, we had our um, vigil mass was our 25th, um, one of the two 25th anniversary um, celebration masses and a lot of brass and full choir and uh, full big pipe yeah. organ. And the Archbishop of Atlanta was uh, the celebrating priest. It was a big deal. And uh, I think it turned out very well. We're doing it again tomorrow night um, at uh, St. Peter Chanel. Um, and that's going to include, I don't know how many uh, priests and deacons and uh, uh, folks who have been you know, working at uh, St. Peter Chanel in these last 25 years. So it's going to be another big, big celebration. Have you been there all so. 25 years? No, I've not been there for that long, Liz. I've oh, only okay. I've I've even been a Catholic for twenty five years. I've only oh. been a Catholic since um, two thousand, and uh, I didn't move away from well, Saint years. Andrew until probably twenty, I don't know, two thousand nine, two thousand twelve, okay. something like that. It's been a it's been a while. Um, You're a Johnny come lately. Yeah, I'm a Johnny come lately for sure. I wonder if I can break my jet to be here tomorrow night. <laughs> oh, you should. It was it's good music. Uh, the brass is just amazing, and uh, I'll play a little bit of our um, of our live stream from our vigil mass to kind of give you a little taste of uh, is tomorrow. Going to be live taste streamed? of it. Yeah, I think I, I it should be live streamed tomorrow, Liz, uh, as well. Anyway, um, so yeah, that's uh, what I've been doing mostly. It's uh, so what's just up uh, for you. So what's coming up for me, Liz? One my. Uh, Fellow uh, singer, male uh, bass singer in the choir is a huge, and I don't mean physically, uh, although he is bigger than me. Uh, he's taller. Um, but he is a, a big Navy fan. Uh, he uh, went to the Naval Academy, and then he, he met his wife at the uh, boat school as well. And every single one, they have a big family. I forgot how many kids. One, two, three, four, at least four or five, I think, uh, children. And uh, the older ones have already attended the Naval Academy and have moved on, and they're still in the military. And their youngest two are currently at the uh, Naval Academy. And uh, they're big into Navy football, and uh, they have season tickets. And we were at a uh, wedding um uh, last month and we were just talking and they said, Jeff, you should go. We should invite you. You should come up to uh, Annapolis and go to a football game. And I went, okay. And so uh, they chose this weekend. And so after the big mass on Thursday evening, I'm going to the next day, I'm going to leave, going to drive my car. I'm going to drive all most of the way up toward uh, Annapolis. I'm going I'm to stop short just a little bit north of Richmond. Next day will be a nice leisurely drive to Annapolis. I'm going to catch the football game. And then uh, Sunday uh, morning, I'm going to be leaving to go to Front Royal, uh, Virginia. And then the Skyline. Have you done the Skyline drive? No. No? Okay. Um, Liz has. And uh, I, I hear it's just absolutely beautiful, a great road trip. And so I'm going to do the Skyline drive. I'm going to stop, pictures. spend the night in. I will. I'll try to remember to take pictures. Just bug me. Nag me, Liz because yeah, I'll well, forget. Um, but uh, there's a 
bed and breakfast in Stanton, Virginia, or Swoop, Thank you. Well pronounced. Uh, Virginia, that I'm going to be spending the night in on that night. And then the next day, I'm going to go back out to the Skyline Drive and continue down south and end up in a bed and breakfast in the uh, Roanoke, Virginia area. And then after that, uh, my plan is to head back to the Skyline Drive. And somewhere in that area is where it, com- it changes from Skyline Drive to the uh, Blue Ridge Parkway. And I'm going to continue down the Blue Ridge Parkway. And I don't know. Uh, from that part of the trip on, I have not completely planned yet. So I'm not sure exactly what I'm, I'm going to be doing. Like then. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And I plan on making some recordings, you know, kind of uh, to, to uh, kind of log or journal my um, my road trip. And I don't know if it's going to involve. Don't hold your breath. Yeah, well, I'm going to try. <laughs> Uh, to do some videos or maybe just some audios. I don't know. I'm not sure what. Crew logs. logs. Yeah, crew logs. So if you're a patron, uh, you should be seeing some of those coming up in uh, in a few days, hopefully, and and it'll be entertaining. What a great segue, Liz. You're Uh, right. Hang on a minute. I just want Jeff to uh, bear in mind uh, while he's visiting the Navy. I've discovered the title of my next plane tale it's called the consequence of a deliberate uh, act and it's the story of an f-14 1987 who shoots down an rf-4 phantom rf-4c i think the reconnaissance and with, with a sidewinder uh, over the mediterranean yeah. oops and uh, <laughs> it sounds like jeff remembers so, that so you, i think I you need to remind the navy good. That they committed this heinous act. <laughs> I'll, see how it I'll goes be sure down. to uh, mention that uh, yeah. as I'm leaving. It's one of their yeah, good idea. Good idea. Listen out for the next plane tale. Two hour mark, guys. Two awesome. hours. Awesome. What a tease. All right. Well, um, I think now we can do this little quick. No, nope, that's not the one I want. I did. I did that last week too. Here we go. The beginning. Yeah. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java in me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh, yeah. Woohoo! Excellent. <laughs> that was fun. He's also a singer in choirs. And I, yeah, I've joined Jeff once or twice in the choir loft at his church. It's fun. Yeah. He's a great singer. Anyway, I'm not, but he is. Uh, so the coffee fund is your way to uh, support the show financially and a couple of different ways to do that. One is the coffee fund classic method. And we had uh, three uh, people in the APG community uh, contribute. Oh, you don't see any slides? Oh, shoot. I forgot to put the slides in. <laughs> oh, hang on. Um, hmm. That was another thing that I was supposed to do that I never got to. Do you want me to get out of? Yeah, get it. Oh, you know, I can just I can just uh, share it in a different share way. Share your screen. Okay. Yeah, that would be yeah. easier. You can just leave the keynotes slides in. So let me go to cover. <laughs> Liz was surprised when I said we had three people. <laughs> what? We did? <laughs> Yeah, we did. How do? You, why don't you know that? I like surprises. Uh, yeah, no. don't you? Okay. Uh, what's the number on today's show? Five ninety-three. Five ninety-three. Okay. There we go. Um, I'm going to take that out so it's on its own. 
I don't want those other two. Oh, well, we'll just have to deal with that. Okay, let me share this. See how easy this is? I can't imagine. <laughs> and you'd think after doing this since fall of 2009 that I would have finally gotten good at it. Well, Nev wouldn't like the wiring, I'm sure. But uh, Oh, no, he'd just... hate this wiring. This is actually pretty good, comparatively speaking. I'm usually all over the place with the wires and cables. Uh, okay, here we go. Boom. Look at that. It's not very pretty, but at least we've got a slide up there. Okay, so I'll just hit this thing and we'll just pretend like we're in the middle of this whole thing, which we are. And uh, yeah, those three fine gentlemen who have uh, used the Coffee Fun Classic method since our last episode are Mazuts Karim. Uh, he was with us in the live chat earlier. He may still be there. I don't know. He might, he might be dead asleep. Did you hear that comment that Liz made that nobody fell asleep for mm. Captain Nick's lecture because I wasn't talking? <laughs> Not funny. Um, and uh, Richard Adams, Rich Adams, and uh, Philip Merkel. And Philip. Oh, Moses is still here. By the way, I think all three of those gentlemen are from the UK or at least not the US. So they're they're making uh, you US people look pretty bad actually. And uh, so thank you very much for all of your generous contributions to the coffee fund. The other way that you can become uh, involved in our coffee fund cadre or the coffee bar club as Captain Nick uh, likes to call it is to become a patron of the show via patreon.com. Uh, information about how you can you can join that is on ca uh, airlinepilot. I almost said catholicpilot.com. <laughs> wow. Uh, airlinepilot.com slash coffee. And uh, join this great group of folks. You'll be glad you did. And we will too. It's funny. I was sharing the story of Catholic Pilot today. Really? About how I had to wait for the second one. And how I found you. I know. He's he is like the proto fan. I know we mentioned this several times, but I mean he's been here since Catholic Pilot episode one. Fan number one. Two, fan number one. Uh two thousand nine. And there there are a couple of other people that are yeah. also still still can you believe that? That's hard for me to believe. There's something wrong with us. I'm not sure what it is. I think it's yeah. like APG syndrome. I think it's worse than that, actually. Yeah. Okay. Are you ready to feedback or do you need a break? Um, I'm good. Are you, how you doing? You, you okay? Okay. Let's, uh, let's start our feedback segment. Here we go. Captain, incoming message. This is feedback from our great community member and very good friend, Craig Pizik. Uh, so we, you know, we, you'll remember that we talked about that story with the guy that went kind of nuts and on the jump seat, the Alaska pilot, um, off to the mass magic, you know, all that. Um, and I said, okay, well maybe somebody out there, like, uh, I think Liz, you're the one that said captain Pizik would be the guy to go to, to learn more about these fire handle things. Uh, and so he sent in some feedback regarding the, um, E-170, E-175 engine fire extinguisher system. He says, Hope, hello, gang. Hope you're all well. Attached are some pictures from an outdated training manual, but the information is still true regarding the E-170, 175 engine fire extinguisher system. And uh, just in case you're wondering, it says for training, 
purposes only. So don't get confused and look at this and think that you can use this in an operational way. It's only for training purposes. So it has a picture of the T-handles and uh, kind of goes into uh, some detail about what happens when you pull the handles. It closes the associated engine bleed air, fuel, and hydraulics or hydraulic shutoff valves. I thought it, because I said, I think I mentioned at that time that most of the airplanes I've flown, when you pull the fire handle, not only does it shut off fuel, but it also shuts off hydraulics and bleed air usually. So that's what happens here in this jet as well. Then when you rotate the handle, it discharges the fire extinguisher bottles into the associated engine. So, and that's about all the detail that we go into here in this training manual, as far as I can tell. Um, Oh, here's a little bit more. Um, yeah, engine uh, the engine fire handle, uh, when it's pulled, it commands the following shutoff valve. We talked about this fuel shutoff, engine hydraulic, and engine bleed air. Each fire handle is associated with one engine. Okay. Anyway, um, anything else that's significant here in this? Um, no. Okay. It's nice of him nope. to send us some more details. Well, thank you so much, uh, Captain and First Lieutenant Craig Pizek. Uh So he's a, is he a captain already? Well, I guess he was a captain, but was, yeah. yeah, I don't, I'm not sure if he's presently a captain in the airline-ish world, uh, but I know he's a First Lieutenant and I know he's flying the uh, C-17 and uh, that's great. Uh, man, we've, you know, we've known Craig for years and we have kind of been like following his career progress um quite closely for many years and we're we're he proud Ashley, we're proud of our boy married came to pittsburgh to the wings over pittsburgh that's right yeah, yeah before he was married uh, they came to uh the wings over pittsburgh uh 2017 cool all right well thanks craig two little girls uh, they have two little girls now that's cool all right we have some audio feedback from apg community member Paul, you're a check. And uh, let's see, I have only listened to one of these. I'm not sure what the other, the second one is all about, but let's uh, take a listen. He used uh, SpeakPipe, and you can too if you want. Hey, PG crew, this is Paul in downtown Dubai. That's what, uh, that's what all the noise is. I got tons of traffic here. It's all lit up, looking for food. It's 9.30 at night. Anyway... I, when I came and when I showed them my passport at customs, they gave me a free SIM card that had a whole gig of data on it. I'm like, geez, if I would have known about this, I would have spent any money buying, pre-buying one. So that was pretty cool, I thought. Okay, aviation-related item. I flew in on Polaris class. I did a last-minute reservation. I originally had five Gulf in Polaris, and with the diligence of a ticketing agent there at the gate, I was able to secure a very last-row Polaris car. window seat, yeah, 15 Lima. And I got to sit near a gentleman named Russell, who is a freight dog, flies 747s. This is his very last flight coming up out of Dubai, to Copenhagen this Sunday. He is retiring, and I gave him all the congratulations that I could. It was such an honor to talk with him. Very okay, people, Speedpipe's telling me it's almost that time. Talk to you later. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. Hey, um, 
probably a good idea not to put that SIM card thing in your phone because they might be spying maybe on your communications. I don't know. Watching you. Always watching. <laughs> yep. All right. Um, next installment. Next installment of Paul check. Hi, APG crew. This is Paul talking to you from a yacht in downtown Dubai. Huh? I'm touring the harbor right now. Just had lunch on the yacht. They had a delicious spread. So we toured the harbor and I saw this looked like a road going into the middle of the harbor. Turns out it is the landing landing runway for the skydive Dubai airplanes. And it looks as though the skydivers land right near it somewhere. Anyway, what I found out is here in Dubai right now, you're familiar with the Dubai International Airport. Well, I heard that the airport, not to the east, but now to the west of Dubai, called Al-Muktum International Airport, is slated to become the world's largest airport. I don't know when that's going to happen, but after seeing how spread out Dubai is and going to the one side of Dubai and not even seeing the tall skyscrapers in the background on the other side, it doesn't surprise me. This is going to be the Lourdes' largest airport. Anyway, speed pipe's cutting me off again. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care now. Got it. Just almost got the whole darn thing in there. <laughs> All right. Our, our roving reporter uh, traveling the world in, in uh, early retirement. And that was Paul. Um, so, yeah, that was interesting. So maybe the world's largest, probably not the world's busiest, but I could be wrong about that. I don't know. Atlanta's been holding that position for quite some time. In a lot of different yeah, ways. largest could be geographic geographically could be yeah. all kinds mm-hmm. of different things 16 yeah. inches huh? but wow. uh, that's pretty cool <laughs> thanks paul for the update and i guess we can continue on here with some feedback from mario barbosa barbosa um and he is saying hello um Murilo, mario barbosa i'm messing up his name now because i think he actually compliments me for saying it correctly and now i can't say it right uh he's here again from marietta originally from brazil just wanted to cover two things here first i wanted to thank so much dr steph for reading my feedback about the berlin marathon played for some friends and they loved it and subscribed to the podcast by the way you you pronounced my name oh maybe he's complimenting uh steph and not me Pronouncing his name perfectly. Ah, okay. Secondly, I want to say how amazing Captain Jeff is. Well, thank you, Muriel. Um, Oh, wait. No, I didn't read the whole sentence. Second, (laughs) I wanted to say how amazing Captain Jeff was in the uh, Farol de Pueso podcast. That was a Brazilian aviation podcast I was on. I've heard you and many podcasts talking about yourself going on and on and on. But this one was the most, I added that part, uh, but this one was the most detailed and interesting I've ever heard. It made me somehow proud to have met you and uh, be a part of your community created by such an amazing person. And even more, listening all that from a podcast from my home country. Please, everyone, go listen to it. It was amazing. Thank you. 
Muriel, I appreciate that. He probably has the same um, uh, thing as, as Neil does on his YouTube that Captain Jeff is wonderful. Probably does, yeah. Um, waiting for the next Atlanta meetup. Thanks a lot. Keep the keep up the wonderful work. And again, that's uh, Mario Barbosa in Marietta, Georgia. Yeah, we uh, had a great meetup. I don't know if, if I met him at both of the um, PDK. Or was it the 57th Fighter Group? I think is the uh, the restaurant slash bar that's right there on the on the airport. That's where where you flew in today, right? Yeah, I've actually eaten there too. It's very good. Yeah. Yeah, that's where I was, Peter. Captain King. Nick's been there. Yeah. Ah. Captain yeah, Nick's I, been there. Indeed I have. Yeah. All right. Very good. Hope to have another Atlanta meetup. Maybe we'll go back to the 57th Fighter Group and, and do it again. Um, great place. All right. Ah, uh, video. Okay. This next item is from Don. And um, let's see here. Uh, President. I'm going to go ahead and read the piece of feedback from Don. Hi, guys. Not sure if I've sent this before, but just in case you haven't seen it, it's very funny. And this is from Facebook.com. He says, love the show. Don, who is a 1955 Cessna 180 owner and soon to be instrument pilot. All right. That's good. It's a good thing to have uh, that instrument uh, rating. And uh, let's take a look at this uh, very funny video. So this is how each flight attendant walks. Here, that volume's kind of high to me. Philippine Airlines. Now, you really have to watch this. We'll be linking this in the show notes because it's just music you're hearing in the background. But there, there are three Pan Am flight attendants walking along. Air Lingus um, <laughs> wearing her, her Irish green and oh yeah you don't want to waste uh, any of that alcohol <laughs> ryanair she's wearing a coat with all kinds of things for sale um to all the passengers i guess um <laughs> this is part three how each airline walks uh emirates uh flight attendant um not sure how to describe this strutting. strutting yeah oh speaking oh. of strutting oh. avianca <laughs> Yeah, she is definitely strutting there. <laughs> this is funny. Assets. Turkish uh, Airlines. Ooh, they look pretty severe, pretty stern. Uh, beautiful, but yeah. Uh, Air China, uh, she's carrying around a bunch of um, face masks. The standard <laughs> shuffle. Yeah. And uh, here is... Oh, it's Delta. It's Delta. <laughs> Okay, I'm not sure how to describe this. Chewing gum and walking at the same time, that's coordination. And then uh, we have Hawaiian uh, wearing a, a pretty Hawaiian print and beautiful hair with a flower. Academia nuts. Oh, yeah. Frontier. She looks a little uh, late. Hurried. <laughs> hurried, yeah, late. Um, and then Singapore, a very, very serene, serene and, and uh, confident and... Uh, What's this one here? Uh, American yeah. Airlines. <laughs> I was, as soon as I saw it, I go, that's American. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that American, Jeff? Just the look. Okay. United. Oh, she looks pretty serious here. Oh, she's, oh, we got it. She's carrying a bat like, uh, like Captain Dana. <laughs> oh, and Southwest <laughs> Airlines. Okay. That's interesting. Uh, she's very energetic. Kind of wild and crazy. Wild and crazy. Yep. Spirit. 
Oh, that's sad. <laughs> that is sad. There's nobody there oh, for you not watching. Gosh. <laughs> oh, that was very, very, very cute. I'm sure it was offensive to many. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I, I thought I removed it. <laughs> that was brilliant. Yeah, that she obviously uh, has a very good sense of humor. This young lady who did these um, these Thank things. You. All right. Um, we're going to skip the next one and save it for Steffi. Okay, we're going to skip the next one uh, because uh, that one's specifically for Miss Steph. And, and video we're up. going to do this one with another video. Okay, so um, you know what, uh, Colonel Jeff, um, why don't you, you know, do something worth, you know, something <laughs> worth your salt. Earn your money. Well, wait a minute, I unplugged the toilet for you. <laughs> you've already done that yeah wow wow you've got an electric toilet wow okay feedback from robert computer museum of america i finally got the chance to go up to roswell which roswell is this this here? one this one okay because there's a roswell new mexico no For there's, their no, monthly there's lot. only one roswell in this <laughs> uh, roswell well Georgia. there's the ufo well the ufos took the other one uh, i know in fact that's the more famous one actually Anyway, uh, they have a monthly live demo of the punch card machine they maintain. How many of you even know what a punch card is? I do. I do. <laughs> us old people know. Us, yeah, I was going to say, we're the old ones. I did not know they also have a sizable space exhibit with a reproduction of the lunar landing module. Ooh. Plenty of room there to have a meetup or episode as well. And they've got a website, computermuseumofamerica.org slash exhibits. And there's a video feedback. I guess he took some movies. He did. He took some movies. But before you do that, Liz, I have to say, I and you'll see the uh, interior of this uh, Computer Museum of America and uh, the astronaut stuff. And I, I've i never heard of this place. And I've Is been living in Roswell for more than 20 years. And uh, so I'm going to have to figure out exactly where the heck this place is. But uh, let's listen to what Robert has to say in his video. So, hey crew, wanted to uh, drop in. I did not know if this was uh, going to be quite a part of the uh, uh, museum up here. And there, by the way, there's not a person in there. It's just me, as far as I know. Uh, but this is a um, uh, either a replica, I actually have to look at it, of the lunar module. And it's up here in Roswell, Georgia, at the uh, Computer Museum Commerce of America. Parkway. I've been meaning to uh, come up here and I no. am waiting for a no, 2 p.m. Uh, demo. They have a punch card machine. If you might remember well, those from way back when. And they're supposed to have a little demo of that. So I'm waiting around for that to start. I did a little interview with one of the volunteers a little bit earlier. But um, yes, it's about computers, but they do you know, have the appreciation here um, you know, for aviation, uh, even space travel. Uh, so that's where the uh, intersection possibly with your podcast. So I know that uh, Captain Jeff is near here and you may want to uh, come up and stop by and check the uh, museum out. Uh, also a tip, um, you may be able to visit your Atlanta metro area library. That's what I did to get a free pass for the library. So just check your local library, whatever county you happen to be in. Um, but I know that's where I got mine from DeKalb, uh, being over in uh, Tucker. So uh, check it out. I'll include the link to the website and um, highly recommend it. There was a lot more here than I thought there was. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I didn't. Um, I was saying I don't. I don't even recall 
where I've never heard of this place, but I know exactly where it is now. Liz looked it up and uh, it's just literally maybe a mile and a half north of where I live. So I'll have to check it out. All right. Thank you, Robert. video coming from Ray Williams. Another video. Okay. You guys are killing me with all these videos. Remove from studio, remove from studio. This is not easy playing these darn videos. I know. This is the last one. Okay. Um, What is it again? Oh, yeah, this one. Okay. It's a good one. Yeah, this is a good one. Uh, We're not going to... Okay, let me go here to the Evernote. And um, this was sent in to uh, us from uh, my neighbor to the north in uh, Alpharetta, uh, Georgia, Ray uh, Williams. And uh, it is in regard to a video that he saw recently. He says, hi, APG team. Maybe y'all have had this video suggested for the APG podcast, but if not, I'd like to point it out for a couple of reasons. First, this is something every student needs to understand and accept. Secondly, while its earnestness is obvious, the statement is not overly emotional. Third, it seems to parallel very closer, uh, closely what all of you talk about when advocate, advocating pilot training. I think it is profoundly sad that two people lost their lives in this incident. Normally, I might shy away due to the nil nisi bonum concept. I've never heard that. Uh, Except that over the years, many aspiring pilots have turned to y'all for advice on advancing their careers in aviation. And for them, this statement needs to be heard. Have you guys heard that? Is that a Latin term, probably some kind of a law, legal concept? Uh, It It means of the dead, nothing but good should be said. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, those people of the dead, yes. Okay, okay. Well, in this well-thought-out uh, council, I believe there is a, a good deal of advice for people going through the training for their licenses or advancements. It underlines the concept that the basis of the training is a mentor-slash-pupil relationship, and if, due to personality conflicts, this cannot be established, it's perfectly okay, maybe imperative, to step back and look for an instructor that can positively interact with one's learning style. Uh, Thanks, as always, for y'all's work in promoting aviation. Regards, Ray Williams, your neighbor to the north in Alpharetta, Georgia. And so now we're going to – I'm just going to play a little bit. This this is not the shortest video, but is definitely worth – watching the entire video because this guy's a very good speaker. He's very um, passionate about what he's saying and it's just, it's just good stuff. So we're going to just play a little snippet at the beginning and at some point we'll, we'll go ahead and stop and then you can watch the rest on your own time. I have written down everything I want to say about this topic right here. It is worded. This is Joe, uh, excuse me, Josh Flowers. He's a flight instructor, Aviation 101 Productions very intentionally and very carefully. I don't want to go off script while I'm trying to convey these points because one, I don't think I will end up conveying the message that I want to. And two, I am very passionate about this topic and I will probably end up saying something at some point that's out of context and that I ultimately don't mean. So I'm going to stick to just reading this. If this is the first time you're seeing one of my videos, I'm Josh. I'm a pilot and flight instructor. I have a burning passion for aviation and just as much a passion 
for filmmaking. I started making aviation YouTube videos in 2010, and as I have grown up and matured alongside my content, I've made it my mission to showcase safe practices while sharing the beauty this world has to offer through the lens of a camera. I make a firm point to not drift from that mission in creating content, but I will divert from my normal format here for a few moments. Accidents in general aviation seem like they're becoming more and more common, whether they truly are increasing in frequency or we're just hearing about them more easily through social media, we'd have to dig through NTSB's data to derive an educated answer on that. Regardless, the fatal accident rate in general aviation is unacceptably high compared to other facets of aviation, and we have to get serious about becoming safer and more disciplined pilots, more responsible aircraft owners, and more professional flight instructors. On September 27, 2023, there was a fatal airplane crash. You may ask yourself, which one was that? And it's sad that we have so many in general aviation that we have to ask that question to narrow it down. In Ohio County, Kentucky, a Piper PA-28 came apart in flight after penetrating a supercell. They flew into a thunderstorm. It was a training flight. A student and flight instructor on a night cross-country both suffered fatal injuries. The aircraft was ripped apart and the debris field was scattered over 25 acres. I'm not talking about this to go off about what I think caused the crash or what I think could have been done differently. That is the job of the NTSB, and they are very good at that job. At this point, the NTSB has already released the preliminary report, and to those of us who are paying attention, it is blatantly obvious what happened. I'm making this video to talk about a fatal human factors issue that massively contributed to, or dare I say, caused this accident. Relatively quickly after we heard about the accident, a screen recording surfaced through text to us, and within a few hours it was already on public news and in the hands of the FAA. The screen recording is of the flight instructor's Snapchat. He was taking photos and videos before and during the accident flight that revealed a dynamic between him and the student pilot that broke my heart and frankly made my blood absolutely boil. First his video of the CFI shaking his head in disappointment, and then he flips the camera to show the student pilot slowly going through his pre-flight inspection with what appears to be a checklist and a flashlight in his hand. And the caption reads, quote, me and this student would not get along if he was my full-time student. I've seen faster at the Special Olympics. Next clip is a video of the CFI tapping his fingers on the fuselage as the student appears to be getting the cockpit ready for this night cross-country. Caption reads, quote, I don't have to be up at 4.30 a.m. or nothing. Let's take our sweet-ass time and have a conversation instead of getting this three-hour flight done. Next clip is of the takeoff. Caption reads, quote, this is going to be a long three-hour flight with Forrest Gump Jr. Let me tell you this, he is not still the smartest in his class. A clip showing the cruise portion of the flight followed by a photo leads us to the next caption, which reads, quote, 1.6 hours into the flight of me giving it to him straight. Forrest says, I don't mind you being hard on me. I know I need it. Me thinking to myself, did you really think I cared if you minded? Okay, I'm going to stop it right there um, because it... It's hard to believe that it could possibly get any worse, but it does. <laughs> and this guy is just, it really kind of is sickening to hear a, a professional uh, flight instructor having fun on the social medias, the social meds, uh, with this student who apparently, um, you know, isn't as sharp as this flight instructor hope that he would be he's you almost feel like he's saying he's just kind of wasting my time 
you know, this guy's beyond help. He's just calling him names and he's so unprofessional. It is very, very disheartening and saddening to, to watch this. But you need to watch the rest of this because he makes some very, very good points uh, toward the end of it. And I think it's something that not only all flight instructors out there uh, should, should watch, uh, but everybody, anybody, a human, every human should see this and hear and heed the advice he's giving. And uh, I, I think it's a, it's a very powerful video. I hope that he didn't mind that we played a little bit of it and promoted it on our show. Uh, it will definitely be in the show notes. So you need to, um, you need to check it out because it's uh, it's, it's a very, it's a very great video that he's done of a, a person who is just disgusting, really. Yeah, I agree, Jeff. And having been a flight instructor for four years, actually against my will, me too. I didn't choose to take that role. Uh, once I realized uh, how important it was to my students that um, I do a good job, I threw my heart and soul into it. And this just what makes me want to cry. I, I feel I watched it and I was really upset. Um, by listening to this instructor's comments. Nobody in life needs to be treated like that. And we all know the special um, bond you get with a good flight instructor. And this was the absolute opposite of that. And uh, yeah, your, your words when you say you're disgusted, I agree 100%. And uh, I think it's just a huge reminder to us uh, of the qualities you need to be a, a good, uh, safe, and effective flight instructor. Uh, and, um, you know, I think the more people who see this, uh, the better, quite honestly. I would venture a guess that not too many of this guy's students continue or even pass. I mean, like you said, Nick, there is a way to do it, and that was the total extreme of how I'm sure you went about it and how I went about it when I was an instructor in the service. I mean, because you have to be positive with them. You can't make it a negative learning experience. And no, you that, can that's completely all, destroy all yeah. a student. Yeah, you can't destroy self-esteem or anything like yeah. that. You can't put them in a hole and expect them to dig himself out when you don't even give them a shovel. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. I, too, was a flight instructor for uh, four years in the U.S. Air Force, um, basic jet training. So, I, you know, I dealt with a lot of folks that were new to this whole flying airplanes thing and uh, helping them along. And, and as I've mentioned several times in the, on the show, uh, every st problem student that I ended up having to deal with, uh, I, I, was, I managed to get them through it and on to advanced jet training. Um, but one of the things that he said in this video really hit me pretty hard, and it's something that I did. And he said, as, as an instructor pilot or instructor or somebody mentoring people, you, you should request some feedback from them and to help you analyze how you are doing as an instructor and how you are coming across as an instructor and maybe some possible things that you're doing wrong or can improve upon and that kind of thing. And let me tell you what, I did that. My first three students, and I've talked about it on the show before, my first three students, uh, before they were crossing over to the uh, T-38, uh, I asked, I sat them down and said, you know, give me some good feedback. 
And at first I was, I was devastated because I'm, I, I was thinking, man, that was like the worst thing I could possibly do is tell, have them give it to me straight. And, but they did. And I'm so thankful that they did because it, at first my initial reaction was defensive and actually, honestly, I just, I was, I was hurt. Um, what happened to our camera there? <laughs> did, did you not want to look at me anymore? Uh, Colonel Jeff? <laughs> no, it's like the, the camera just on its it own. It drifted away. And decided. Jeff disappeared. I mean, <laughs> I looked up. Almost, we both looked up and I'm the only one in the frame. It's like, wait a minute. What happened to Jeff? Go? Okay. It's this stupid thing that does so, auto tracking and for some reason it decided. Well, well it obviously yeah. centers on the more attractive of the <laughs> obviously. two. It likes yeah. beauty. Okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's what happened. The camera's wow. giving you some honest feedback. I know. It oh my gosh! Oh, talk about hurt. Ooh. So I was glad it went that way. Yeah. So uh, I think we got the cam. I, I didn't think these cameras were, you know, animate uh, objects and judge. Yeah, well, so they judgmental. Are AI driven. Oh yeah, that's true. They are. <laughs> anyway, you know, I have feelings too, camera. Um, <laughs> Anyway, so I was, I was actually, it was, it was devastating to hear what they had to say, uh, about my instruction style and, and, but I'm so, as I said, I'm so glad that I asked them because I, after thinking about it for a while and kind of stewing and, and crying a little bit, you know, not really, but, uh, you know, feeling pretty bad about it. I said, you know, that was that took a lot of guts for them to do that. And maybe I should heed what they were trying to, the, the advice that they were trying to give me. And so I took their advice and I changed my style of instruction. And it was, you know, I, I think for the better, I became a very, very good instructor pilot um, because of that feedback that I solicited uh, from them. And, um, and so, so he mentions that in his video, that that's what we should do. And I'm thinking, yeah, I did that, but be careful because it hurts. Just like, doing a podcast or any kind of a creative, uh, venture. Um, when you get, when you get negative feedback, thankfully we here at the airline pilot guy show give very, very little negative never, feedback. Never do. Well, yeah. Liz is saying never. Um, so don't let, uh, that, um, but she's lying. Uh, she just was snickering there all of a sudden, but we don't really get a lot of, trust me. I, there are, I just know that there are a lot of podcast in this world where they get a lot oh that gesture thing is doing i know okay i forgot to turn the gestures off that's what's Sit happening i'm using my hands um and it's uh, going nuts on me here okay boom there we go um anyway what was i saying um you know a lot of podcasters. oh i know a lot of, of podcasters that um and that and they've shared with me you know getting negative feedback and and how hurtful it is i mean it's just it really it's like slamming in the slapping you in the face and really makes you feel bad and then after a while you know you the 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 hurt kind of wears off and uh and then you kind of realize that the people that are are giving you bad feedback or bad um uh well some of the some of them care but a lot of them just are, are the kind of people that want they feel better by making you feel bad. Uh, and, um, so you kind of take, take it with a grain of salt basically. But as I said, we, we're very fortunate here. We get very, very little (laughs) negative feedback. The the only feedback that negative feedback that I get is every time I do a show and Liz is talking to me in the, in the, 
in the, in the talkback channel. And that's, uh, yeah, uh, Neil Lamb says anybody who makes it to the end is too tired to write feedback. That's the reason why we do a three-hour show. So, yeah, good point. Well done, Jeff. Tim Van Ram that was a says, great tactic when you dreamt that sorry. one up. Tim Van Ram. Tim Van Ram says probably should have asked your students to join the coffee fund before asking for feedback. <laughs> I didn't have the coffee fund back then. Uh, anyway, so I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to go on and on about that. Thanks um, to Ray for sending this in. Yeah, thank you very much, Ray, for, for sending in that that video. And it really, really is. If you haven't seen it, you definitely need to take the six minutes or whatever it is. Uh, it's not super long, but it's really a impactful. A lot to think about. Yeah. And uh, so thank you, sir, for, for sending that in. And I'm hoping that uh, others out there will get something from it in a positive way. Two Indeed. More to go. Two to go. Oh, we still have more? <laughs> I thought that was going to be well, it. <laughs> unless, you, unless you want to wind it up. Well, where, how long have we been going? Well, it's just after two, two hours and 10 minutes. Oh, okay. Uh, no, sorry. Two and a half, two, two hours and 40 minutes. Oh, okay. Um, you, well, you can wrap it up if you want. Yeah, let's go ahead and push through and, uh, and wipe out all the feedback so that ah. Liz gets all upset. <laughs> uh, this feedback from Giles. Um, good morning. Uh, I guess it was morning when he wrote this. It, uh, it'd be interested. I'd be interested. Let me see if I can read words here. I'd be interested to get your take on this wall street journal article. I've copied and pasted the article below the link, just in case you can't get through the paywall. Thank you, Giles. Yeah. Thank you very much uh, for that, Giles. There are some companies out there that, you know, unless you're a subscriber, you can't access their articles. Um, and the title of this is, Your Pilot Has a New Job and a Bigger Plane to Fly. Uh, the industry battle for pilots has jolted the slow, methodical career progress to which they were accustomed. Regulators and industry officials are monitoring potential safety risks. Uh, airlines hiring binge has suddenly thrust many pilots behind the controls of different, bigger planes than they are used to flying. That rapid advancement to new cockpit seats is fueling anxieties over whether pilots' newness to certain aircraft could lead to more minor mishaps that go unnoticed by the flying public or with serious incidents and accidents. Nigel is going to have a just have a heyday with your chair, Nick. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's two thousand pounds worth of quiet chairs. Just that I'm getting a bit wriggly. <laughs> that Nigel always gives him such a bad time for for like the chairs that make noise. Um, okay, uh, you know what? I can talk to this. Oh, can you? Okay, that'd be great. Go ahead. This is really interesting with me sitting here reading as he scrolls through this because I've actually gone the opposite way. So. For those of you who don't know, I spent 22 years on active duty flying, mostly F-15s. Uh, then I went to uh, a Part 121 carrier, major airline here, legacy airline here in the United States for 21 years. I'm probably going to have to bow out. And this. now okay, I am flying a charter aircraft as a small business jet. As I see these other young pilots at my company that I have flown with. Nick Camacho has to exit soon, Jeff, just so you know. You only give him a chance to leave before I continue? No, that's okay. No, go oh, ahead. Okay. Yeah, uh, I heard him. The, the okay, problem sorry. is is that as a captain that can attest, the big airplanes are actually very easy to fly. They do it all for you. They have more automation. They have much higher levels of automation. And 
as you start in the airline industry, especially the era that like Captain Nick and myself and uh, Captain Jeff started in, it was all steam gauges. Uh, now these guys are flying with uh, glass panels and a Cessna 172. They got GPS. Uh, they've never gone point to point. They've never flown green lines. Uh, for the most part, everything's the, uh, the magenta line. But as you get to the, uh, the 135 carriers, the, the backyard freight carriers, you're doing a lot of flying, but with very little automation. You don't, 99% of the biz jets out there don't have uh, auto throttles. Some of them don't even have autopilots. When you hit the toga buttons on every business jet I've flown, the three that I've been checked out on, it's a generic display. Whereas at the 121 carrier, it depends what mode you're in. If you're doing a go-around, it gives you a go-around display. If you're in a wind shear, it gives you a wind shear display. If, if you get an EGP uh, terrain warning, it gives you a terrain warning display. So it's all different. They have wind shear. They have predictive wind shear. They have active wind shear. There's so many other toys that so they're actually safer. And as you get more and more senior, the airplanes get easier and easier to fly. There's more knowledge you have to know because the systems are more complicated. But the actual flying and safety is better. It's easier to understand. It's easier to deal with. Uh, compounding things like the uh, hydraulic system we talked about earlier with the dual hydraulic failure. That can, you know, those situations happen. But there's even more backups on the big airplane than there are on the small airplanes. One of the hardest things for me to get into when I got into the business world was how simple the business jets were. I kept on looking for all the bells and whistles I had at the airline and it wasn't there. So in a way, I kind of disagree with the article because I think you got, you'll find guys almost relieved to find that it's actually easier to move up in the airlines than it is to go backwards. One of the biggest lessons I was told by a buddy of mine who went from, like I did airlines to charter is how difficult the schoolhouse was. He almost walked out because it was so hard compared to anything else he'd done before. And this is a guy who had like 30 years at a legacy airline. So, and I've heard that from other people who I've talked to who went from the airlines who didn't have as much stick and rudder time as I did, uh, which I think helped me a great deal when I got back into a sticker rudder airplane, stick and rudder airplane like I'm doing now. So, yeah, I'm kind of the other way from the article. Interesting to, to hear your take on it, Jeff. Thank you very much. Uh, what do you all think? Uh, just from my point of view, um, I was um, going to say a lot of it is just statistics because if you are, are going to replace uh, a large number of experienced pilots with um, guys coming in at the bottom of the business, the um, experience level is going to be diluted and that is going to lead to issues. Uh, you're going to end up promoting people with less experience, and uh, they're probably going to um, be in a situation where they're perhaps still learning a new type of aircraft and also shouldering the responsibilities of being a new captain. Uh, they don't have the backup of those eight, ten-year first officers that uh, are used to kick around the place and waiting their turn to go up because they carried a wealth of experience 
um, in their heads and uh, knew the airline and the aircraft backwards. So there's obviously a difference there, but you can mitigate. It's like any threat you look at when you're in aviation. You can mitigate it all just by adopting a really sound training system. Uh, everybody who gets promoted is going to be inexperienced for a while uh, until they get the hang of it. And yet um, you can normally cope with that. The, the average pilot will be able to cope with that and proceed and learn on the job until they, uh, you know, as they, that bucket of uh, luck is replaced by a bucket of experience. Um, so I, I don't necessarily agree with the, the premise that, um, you know, just because you've got junior pilots or, or less experienced pilots coming through, they're any less able because anyone who's done a, a solid command course and come out of it, uh, even just on the average level, uh, is going to be very well prepared to sit in the left-hand seat and do their job. The same applies to junior pilots coming up. Um, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. Good Lord, the um, uh, regional airlines cope with this all the time and always have. They're, they're, they're traditionally always dealing with uh, young and in, inexperienced crews and pushing them forward, and they... They don't have a, a, a vastly different uh, accident rate to anybody else. So, no, I think as long as your training system is robust, uh, this is a situation that should be um, safe. Yeah, I, I think back to when we were all brand new military officers, military pilots, and like how much how much experience did we really have? At that point, and think <laughs> okay. about the airplanes, the how expensive these airplanes were and how sophisticated and complicated those airplanes were to fly. And we were in our 20s. We were in our maybe even early 20s. I remember sitting across from a guy out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean in a C-141. And he was, I think, maybe 26. And I think I was 23. And I'm thinking... I can't believe they're actually letting us fly this airplane, the two of us together. I mean, this is crazy. And then uh, much more significant examples, people flying the B-52s and B-1s and with nuclear weapons and you flying eagles uh, with, I don't know, maybe nuclear weapons on yeah. them as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we did that too. So I think it's easy for us to kind of think that we were like God's gift to – piloting when we were in our 20s when you actually think back about how much experience we had and oh, wait a minute we weren't no oh, i'll talk to you later about that after you've had a, a few drinks anyway so um, good feedback good <laughs> tell it to him straight yeah. <laughs> anyway uh so i think nick, nick's saying it's him <laughs> well yeah i mean yeah he's obviously right um but uh yeah i i agree i mean i i the, the, this article, and, and honestly, I didn't read through the entire thing, but I'm just, as you were speaking, I, I read this couple of paragraphs here and I'm thinking this is really, I, I don't know why they were using this as an example of inexperienced pilots. Um, They're talking about a Delta 757, a brand new first officer flying, but the airplane was dispatched without a working anti-skid system. And every time I've seen, <laughs> there have been several accidents at my company and others that um, 
have occurred when an airplane was dispatched without a, and a skid system. Like there was a mad dog incident in Atlanta several years ago that required an emergency evacuation. And when I learned that the anti-skid system was MEL'd, uh, or I mean MCO'd, uh, maintenance carryover, um, it was allowed to fly without the uh, anti-skid system. I'm thinking, what? I didn't even think they could do that. And in fact, in fact, only a, a few months earlier, that was a restriction that they could not, they could not do that with, you know, without fixing it. You couldn't actually fly a a revenue flight with passengers if your anti-skid system was not operative. And so it was not a surprise at all to me that this occurred. And then, the, but the, they're showing in this article from the Wall Street Journal about the 757, the, the wheels locked up, plane touched down, some of its tires blew, landing gear caught fire, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I'm thinking, yeah, but the anti-skid system, I mean, yeah, and then they, they continue. That's a terrible example. Yeah, it is a horrible example, but it might be because I don't know who wrote this. I'm thinking that maybe these journalists aren't pilots or don't have experience in our world of airline flying and military flying. I don't know. But um, yeah, so I'm not sure this is a uh, – our take is we're not yeah. too not concerned with the rapid um, ascent in people's careers and as far as seniority and I think you can look at, you know, the three training academies we have represented here, you know, Nick's airline, Jeff's and mine. And you look back at the training you went through from initial hiring through your captain upgrade through transitions from airplane to airplane. And it's in depth and strenuous. There's not, a, I mean, there's no slack given. And I can tell you it's that it's that way in the charter business too. It's very, demanding um and it's believe it or not it's even faster it's there's not as many systems to cover but it's a fire hose there's no days off like you had at the airlines um so it's intense training and it's demanding training so when, as you move up yes it gets easier systems not systems wise but flying wise uh but you know you put anybody in some of these situations whether it's the most experienced captain or the, the most junior officer uh you're going to have issues. So I, I kind of disagree with the whole, like you said, Nick, it's statistics and you can make statistics say what you want. You know, you can, uh, and I think they're just picking things out here, uh, like this seven, five incident. So, yeah, Jeff, we, I think you need to say farewell to Nick C before we move on. All right. Um, Camacho, you need to leave. Uh, thanks for yep. being here again this week. And uh, say goodbye to everybody or your fair, fond yep. farewells. For, uh, it was good talking to everybody again. We'll talk to you uh, hopefully shortly here. Yeah. All right. Good seeing you, Nick. Bye, Nick. Right. See you. Yep. Cheers, Bye. Nick. Um, yeah, and we're going to be wrapping this thing up yep. very, very shortly as well. Um, one more, one item. more item in the feedback here from Duncan. Um, hi, Captain Nick and APG crew. All right. Um, Yeah, this this guy knows who's in charge. Um, I heard this podcast the other day, and I Uh, thought I need a pay rise. uh, Yeah, well, if I'm in charge, yeah, well, you have to talk to the board of directors. Um, I heard. (laughs) Yeah, it's a weekly thing. (laughs) I heard this podcast the other day, and thought some of the community might find it interesting. Well, the UK-based parts of the community, at least. 
Tim Peake tells of his journey through school, not university, then via the Army Air Corps into flight testing and up to becoming the second British astronaut. Bonus points if you can name the first. Can you name the first, uh, Captain Nick? I couldn't have named the second. <laughs> I, know, I can't name any of them. <laughs> no, I'm really joking. <laughs> Uh, no, I can't name the first. Oh, I, I was going to be very impressed. <laughs> it was probably uh, it was probably a dog or something. Was it or a monkey? I don't know. Um, I know you can hardly swing a cat in the U.S. without hitting an astronaut. Why would we swing cats? <laughs> That's why God gave them tails. Ah, okay. That's horrible. Um, it's uh, Colonel Jeff at AirlinePilotGuy.com. Helen Sharman was the first British astronaut. Who? Helen Sharman. Helen? Like a female astronaut? Correct. Oh, yeah. She was the Dave. first? Yeah. Wow. That... She was a cosmonaut. Mm -hmm. Oh, she was, a, uh, but she was British, but she was a cosmonaut. Yeah. Okay, she interesting. She flew with the Russians. Interesting. Okay, well, he says, as uh, I know you can hardly swing a cat in the U.S. without hitting an astronaut, but they're pretty rare in the U.K. So I oh. thought I'd share this interesting story. Uh, you can find it here, and then he gives us a, a clip or a, a link to the podcast, which we're not going to play on the show, but we're going to have the link in the show notes. By the way, uh, in the show notes, if you, I mean, if you in the, my <laughs> bad. Uh, yeah, if you're listening to the, uh, we're changing some things, experimenting around a little bit on uh, the audio podcast um, to go to get the show notes. If you're listening on your favorite uh, podcasting client device, um, I'll try to include a, a link to the uh, podcast there uh, on the podcast page of the website where you can see all the links to all these news articles and other things referenced here. Um, but if not, just go to airlinepilotguy.com slash podcasts, and uh, there you'll see a list of all our podcasts, and just click on it, and then you'll have the full the full um, show notes. Okay. Um, anyway, so he concludes, Happy Landings, Duncan, your friendly Cologne-based regulator. Oh, regulator. Uh-oh. Got to be careful. They're listening. Well, he obviously smells nice if he wears cologne. <laughs> yeah, he's doing a check ride. Probably with does. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well done, Duncan. That was good. Yeah, very good. Thank you, Duncan. Okay. And uh, truthfully, I had not heard of the first British astronaut. It was a quick Google requirement. Well, and we all knew that. How <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on? <laughs> I mean, I, you didn't fool me. I don't know. Maybe you fooled the rest okay. of them. Yeah. Uh, all right. Very good. Um, so it's now time for us to kind of wrap this thing up. Uh, first thing we're going to do is point to the website, airlinepilotguy.com. Lots of stuff there to check out. Do it uh, as soon as you can. And uh, we're also on social media. And uh, Nick is going to tell us all about that. Uh, yeah, sure. On Facebook, look for Airline Pilot Guy, all one word. On Twitter, we're at APG Crew. And on the Instagrams, we're just APG Crew. That we are. And in your bathroom. we're also on Slack. And uh, the guy that's uh, responsible for that is Hillel. And I think he's. Hello? Oh, do you hear him in the show? Oh, yeah. Hello, Slack. Okay, but I'm dripping wet. All right, that's okay. Come over here. Tell us about Slack. 
APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K. Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1 and see you in Slack. Thanks a lot, Hillel. Jeff, would what? you loof on my back again? Um, no, I have company. I'm not doing it either. Sorry. <laughs> one of you could take the front the other one does the back oh oh tmi <laughs> all right uh anyway so uh, we thank uh hillel for managing the slack team and uh, me as far as social media goes <laughs> i'm hardly ever on it unless i'm required to be i don't like it I like ugh. anyway um so with that um well jeff um tell us anything uh, new that you're going to be kind of engaging in here anytime soon or uh... I'm enjoying nope. enjoy... oh, I just muted myself I'm sorry I'm enjoying the being semi-retired it's more this has been more of like a uh, a hobby for me it's not about the money because that's not I have enough to retire on it just they make us retire at 65 and I went no that's too young so uh, but it's fun because I'm still instructing a little bit with the young guys I'm flying with because you recognize that the 135 is just a, a road, a bump in the road before they get to the major carriers. And these guys are getting hired out from under us faster than we can keep them. So it's a constant turnover. And I'm just enjoying my grandkids who live close by. And um, yeah, being semi-retired, I'm going to do this for a couple more years and uh, just enjoying the ride. I've always wanted to be a pilot since I was seven and I'm just continuing to do it. So it's a hobby. Cool. Well, so glad that you were able to join us today on the show. I am thrilled to be here. Awesome. And I'm in the other group of um, people approaching 65 that just can't wait to <laughs> not fly anymore and get on with my life and do other things. So that's cool. But it's, a, it's probably close to about a 50-50 kind of a split, I think. Yeah, yeah we're just representative of that right, right here. All right. Um, so with that, we're going to wish you, oh, wait, no, before we go, yes, uh, we have to thank, uh, Liz, otherwise, uh, yeah, she'll hurt me if I don't. And, uh, so we got to find the applause. Uh, where is it? It's like right here. I'm sure. Yep. Uh, uh, There it is. Thanks so much. Thank you, Liz, for all the work. I mean, she does a heck of a lot of work. I mean, I'm not just saying it. She really does. (laughs) And that, that whip does hurt when we forget to acknowledge her. So. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah. I just wanted to mention something quickly before you wrap up. I think mm-hmm. we were going to mention again Micah and Brian's meetup in Oh, Largo, yeah, Florida. we were. We were. Um, because it's, I believe, this coming weekend mm-hmm. at, uh, I can't remember, it's a pizza place in Largo. It's it's, it's my pizza place, I think, or something, or your pizza place. No, it's your pizza place. Oh, Not it's my yours. pizza okay. place. It's your pizza place. It'll be in the show notes. And uh, we, uh, and you know, by the time the show uh, gets out, it, it may be already have occurred. It may have already right. occurred. I think it's on Just the 11th, um, Saturday, I think is when they're, they're doing their meetup in Largo, which is in the Tampa, or actually closer to St. Petersburg, that part of the Tampa-St. Petersburg area. So 
Anyway. Thank you. My pleasure. All right. Beautiful. And uh, with that, we're going to wish you all clear skies and limited visibility and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. Bye, everybody. See you next time. In a year or two for me. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy. Good day. a good good pilot till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats airline not a guy I fly Cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, not a guy I fly over